השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, to be back in Aventura, ברוך השם. ברוך השם, I have some uh, new faces, some old faces that I haven't seen in a long time, that's always good. And as other Hashem, we continue our Musar series, number 57. Today, Rabotai, is Rosh Chodesh Elul. In the uh, previous generations, when uh, Rosh Chodesh Elul would happen, and the uh, rabbi would announce it, or one of the people that's in charge of the shul would announce it to the Keilah, in previous generations, some people had such high level of Yirat Shamayim that they would actually pass out. They would collapse. And the reason why is because Rosh Chodesh Elul, in essence, begins a 40-day countdown to Judgment Day. Now, I know that sometimes people have different trials, whether it's for a parking ticket or a speeding ticket, Sometimes it's for some other major lawsuit. And 99 out of 100 people before the trial usually can't sleep. 99 out of 100, even if you're the one suing. Sometimes you sue somebody because he did something wrong to you. He stole from you, did this to you, did that to you. 99 out of 100 people the day before the uh, actual trial, even though there's no decision yet, just a trial, people can't sleep. Because they know there are certain things that are beyond their control. They know that there are certain things that are nerve-wracking. And that's trial with flesh and blood. Now, we have a trial coming up in 40 days with the King of Kings. Now, the Maram Masechet Brachot, the students of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai asked them, Rabbeinu, teach us something. He was on his deathbed in his deathbed, teach us something. Instead of saying, oh, listen, we love you, we care about you, thank you for the good time, thank you for the teaching, thank you for this, these people were holy of holies. All they care about is there's a few minutes before he dies, okay, teach us something. Teach us some Torah. Not like us. We just, you know, crying. They're focusing on Torah. So he says, Oh, they asked him for a blessing. He says, I, uh, I wish that you will be as scared of, of uh, Hashem as you are of man. I bless you that one day you're going to be as scared of Hashem Itbarach as much as you are scared of people. So they already thought that maybe Rabenu lost it. For the Rav, he's dying. He's not exactly uh, tip-top shape at this stage. Maybe he lost it. Like, oh, Rabbeinu, maybe even here they're still making sure. But for the Rav, maybe you mean the opposite. You bless us for us to be scared of people as much as Hashem. Love people. Scared of your rabbi. There's a Gemara that you're supposed to be scared of your rabbi like you're scared of God. That's what you mean, right? It's absolutely not. I wish that you, I bless you. You will one day be as scared of Hashem as you are of people. He says, "For the Rav Atkan, up to here, we can't. Have a, you don't. We don't understand. This is beyond beyond all the teachings. Some of us can revive the dead. We still don't understand what you're saying. What do you mean?" And he says, "Most people say that they're scared of God, but in reality, they're not, because if you were truly a hundred percent scared of God." Sin would nearly cease to exist. 
sin would merely cease to exist. He says, when someone, for example, drives on a highway back from a lecture at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, doesn't see anybody on the highway, driving 75, 85, 95, 105, you already stopped counting. The dial on the car says, slow down. But you're driving. No care in the world. You don't care. You're passing cars, no cars. It doesn't make a difference. The second you see a siren in the, in the, in the, in the mirror, your heart drops. Heart drop. Everybody. Your heart drops. Oh, they got me. Oh, they got me. Oh, they got me. 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 Oh, wow. My life. You start thinking. You have cheshbonot already in your head. What happened? Oh, they're going to put points on my license. Oh, they're going to give me a fine. Oh, they're going to give me this. I can't go to work. Maybe they're going to arrest me. Oh, my license expired. Oh, this. You have 500 different things going to your head because you saw little lights. And if the lights ends up passing you because he's actually arresting somebody else more important than you are, a bigger sinner than you are, you are praying to Hashem, all of a sudden you became... The Satme Rebbe, you are you start praying in the middle of the highway, you're praying, Oh Hashem, Oh Hashem, like you got the Torah uh, in Mount Sinai. Next from Shemaim, you start calling the rabbi at 3 o'clock in the morning, I just had a miracle. What? God showed me himself. What happened? The cop passed me. So Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai is telling you, that's sad. Sad. It's very sad. Why? Because when the cop was potentially, possibly going to give you a ticket for a few hundred bucks, when the judge was potentially, possibly going to give you a fine for five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, when the judge was going to decide that you have to pay more child support, or that you owe money to somebody, or so on and so forth, you were already doing bidui. You feel bad. I, I'm never going to do it again. I'm sorry, Your Honor. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. Some people even start crying. See those people, on, sometimes they, are, they have shows for these people that have nothing to do with their life. They go to the courts that actually have a camera. So you see the people, they, they make fools of themselves. They tell people of their whole life story. The guy only want, wants to know why you stole the money. The guy's saying things about his car about his house, and he has a hobby, and he has a friend, and she cheated on him. Okay, all we want to know is, did you take the money or not? Oh, yes, Your Honor. Okay, okay. You're guilty. The end. What's the whole story for? Everybody wants to be on TV. So now, you're one of those people. You're on TV. You're getting hatano avinu pashani. You started crying. But this is for flesh and blood. Rabban Yochanan say, every time you make a small, tiny sin, Small, tiny one. What do you think is small, tiny sin? Let's say, let's say, most people don't realize the size of sin. Let's say one day, just one day, has shalom, it happens. One day, you didn't feel like doing tefillin. You woke up late. You woke up late. Come on. Where do you go to work? You're going to go to work or are you going to do tefillin? The minyan finished already. You're going to pray alone. Come on, you're going to pray alone. You're going to go to... Work. I'm gonna do tefillin at work. I'm gonna do tefillin at work. Once you get to work, you're busy. All of a sudden, 800 clients show up. No one ever shows up, but today, 800 clients showed up with complaints, nonetheless. So now, okay, I'm gonna do it in the afternoon before mincha. I can do it until mincha. I can do it, no problem. 
Mincha come and goes. By the time you're on the way to the Beknesset for Arvit, you just remembered, I forgot to do tefillin. I forgot to do tefillin. I think it's a small sin. Okay, Hashem, no big deal. No big deal. No big deal. I missed tefillin. Okay, I got six days to do tefillin. I missed one. Okay, Hashem, you still got five. Like you're doing him a favor. But lo and behold, the Satan convinces you the next day that if you already missed one day and you forgot the tefillin at home today, just, ah, it's two days, big deal. You still got four days. The next thing you know, you're down to three. The next thing you know, you haven't done tefillin for two months. You know what the Gemara says about somebody that doesn't lay tefillin? A Jew that doesn't lay tefillin, do you know what the Gemara says? Rasha, Alvaida was it. Alvaida was it. A Jew that does not lay tefillin, en lo chelek No share of the world to come. No olam The end. Beginning, middle, the end. Tefillin. This is part of the deal. So, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai says, you thought it was a small, tiny, little quarter sin. By the time you woke up and you went to the lecture that said what it actually is, you realize it's the sun. It's not a quarter, it's the sun. It just looked like a quarter because it was far away. Like the little boy, you ask him, how big is the sun? He goes, oh, it's the size of a quarter. Why? Because he can put his hand, it's the size of a quarter. But anybody that knows a little bit knows that the sun is not a quarter. It just looks like a quarter because it's far away. So Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai says, Hashem looks like it's not a big deal. His mitzvot, his averot, all of the laws that he has, looks like it's not a big deal. Sometimes you keep, sometimes you don't keep. So you're not scared of him. The cop that pulled you over at 2 o'clock in the morning, you're petrified. It should be the opposite. So today, at Rosh Chodesh Elul, we have 40 days to not only say I'm sorry, but to convince Hashem to give us another chance. Now anyone that takes these next 40 days like it's any other 40 days of the year, it's in essence like you're going to have the biggest case of your life and you don't prepare for it. You're going to wing it like they do in the movies. You're going to wing it. See what happens. You know, in the old business days, I would always tell my guys, always know if you want to be good at what you do, in sales, in sales, in debates, in anything, always know what you're going to say before you say it. Don't wing it. Don't wing it. Don't just go off the cuff like a superhero. They would tell me, yeah, but use this pitch, use this strategy, use this, this, it's great, but how come you don't do it? They look at me like, how come you don't do it? I said, because I've said it so many times, it became part of my DNA. I can't forget it even if I want to. One time I uh, didn't sleep over a weekend, and uh, I showed up to work. And, you know, I have phone calls, clients call me and so on. And this will show you how ingrained something can be. Alvaid Torah is going to be like that. But I had a uh, one time a uh, client call me, and they would ask me questions about the market, about the uh, 
certain investments we have and so on. And, you know, I need to be, remain abreast of what's going on, what's going on in the economy, what's going on in the market, what's going on with our investments and so on. And even though sometimes certain clients will call me once, three, once, twice, three times, four times a week, some clients will call me once every six months. Depends. Some clients just like to talk. So they like to get a, I was the news. So you always have to know what's going on. You have to know how to address people, talk to them, and so on. And usually the guys would listen to me. The guys that worked for me would always listen to me. And that's, you know, they would in essence repeat what I said. So one time I was very, very tired. I haven't slept in a couple of days. And uh, I went to work. And, you know, I had calls or whatever. And uh, somebody called me. And I started talking to him, talking, 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 talking. Fifteen minutes into the conversation, I don't remember what happened. All I know is about 20 minutes, so about five minutes elapsed. I wake up and I'm still talking. I went to sleep during the call, but I continued talking. That's how ingrained it was. Alvay Torah. I wish Torah was that ingrained. So if you want to be good at something, you have to know what you're going to say before you say it. If you want to survive Judgment Day, you have to know what you're going to say to Hashem on Judgment Day. Which means you have 40 days to prepare. You have 40 days to say, Hashem, this is what I did over the last 40 days to prepare for the case today. So before we continue, we started this tradition, Bo Hashem, it has a lot of success. So you guys are going to ask me some questions, and Bezrat Hashem, we're going to answer them during the lecture through this Mishnah. How the Mishnah is connected to your questions, I have no idea. But that has nothing to do with me. It's all Hashem, so don't blame me. So go ahead. Who wants to ask question first? Okay, yeah. Ah, okay. Why is it good for someone not to listen to a rabbi? How could that possibly be for the good? Why would it be good? Would be good? No, to a good rabbi, not to a rasha. But uh, we can answer both of them. Good. Not to listen. Okay. Next. Go ahead, almost. It seems like you're uh, heated with one. You got one. You're excited. The king is in the field, yes. I already made a blessing before. Is it good to do it bodedut during Elul? Okay, if you do it bodedut, okay, that's what we have slichot for, but we'll try to answer it more elaborate. Go ahead. Don't want to be afraid. So how could there be mercy and, you know, and, and, and fear at the same time? Okay, sounds good. Next. Some things are hidden, some things are explicit. Okay. So the Powerball. What about the Powerball? Should you play the Powerball? Powerball. Okay. Powerball is connected to the Mishnah. I have no idea, but the Vata Shem. Powerball. $600 million? $600 million. Okay. Powerball, $600 million, connected to a Mishnah that was written 2,500 years ago. Imagine that. No? Fidel, Fidel. Fidel, you have good questions. 
He doesn't ask Powerball questions. That was last week's show. If a person is in the process of conversion, okay. Conversion, Shabbat. Okay, got it. Wait, hold on. Let's let let's other people go. Anybody? Everybody else knows the rest of the Torah? Oh, we're at six already. Wow, you guys are good today. Is there a Shabbat service for Noahites? The simple answer is no, there isn't such a thing as a Shabbat service for Noahides. But we'll, I guess, talk. Why? Noahides. Okay, we are at all record. We're at seven questions. Next. Make a rabbi ask questions. Okay, so ask a rabbi. Okay, so what does it mean to make yourself a rabbi? Asking rabbi questions. Asking rabbi questions, and rabbi is wrong. Rabbi is wrong. The rabbi is wrong. Right? Huh? Asking the rabbi. Okay, next. Anybody else? We are at like eight, nine, maybe ten questions. Anybody? Okay, if you have any more questions along the way. Uh, we'll try. We are going to try our uh, best to convince Hashem to give us the answers. This is Mishnah Avod, Dalet Bet, 4-2. Ben Azai Omer, Everats le mitzvah kala, uboreach mina avera. שמצווה גוררת מצווה, ועבירה גוררת עבירה, ששכר מצווה מצווה, ושכר עבירה עבירה. בן עזאי says, run to perform even a minor מצווה, flee from sin, for one מצווה leads to another מצווה, one sin leads to another sin, for the consequence of a מצווה is a מצווה, and the consequence of a sin is another sin. So first and foremost, as we can, as we learned from Chachmenu Zichonam Livracha, before we actually listen to anyone, we need to know who we're dealing with here. Who is this Ben Azai? Who is this Ben Azai? So first we noticed that Ben Azai is not called Rabbi, which is very similar to what happened last week with Ben Zoma. Ben Zoma, they said that he is the sign of wisdom. The sign of wisdom is Ben Zoma, but he's not a rabbi. 
You didn't get a smicha. You didn't get a smicha. So, Benazai is the same thing. In the Gemara, in the same Masechet Brachot, it actually says that uh, when Benazai died, piety died. Tzadikim died. There's no such thing as someone as righteous as Benazai after him. If, if, and if someone actually says in Brachot, did you get to it yet? I think it's in uh, 60 something maybe. Up to? Sorry, it was up to. Oh, three minutes. Brachot. 57, 57b, says, these are three uh, students of the sages. So if so it talks about dreams here. If someone appears to you in a dream, one of these chachamim, it has a certain sign. So it says, someone that sees Ben Azai in his dream, may anticipate attaining piety. You're going to have certain koach from Shemaim to become a tzaddik, become a chassid, a true chassid. Not chassid like uh, you just have payers. Your payers are not going to go overnight. You're not going to wake up and all of a sudden you went to sleep with pajamas, you woke up black and white. No, that's not what we're talking about. Chassid means you, all of a sudden you're going to have a much, much easier time dealing with your yetzerah. Why? Because you became stronger. Also, it continues, if uh, you see Ben Zoma, which is the one from last week, the, uh, the sage from last week, expect for Hashem to open up your brain. Open up, this is why I pray for. Open up your brain, you start understanding things in a different way. In the Gemara, also, uh, also you're going to see that Betzalel, uh, Betzalel, you know Betzalel, Hashem says that He gave him special wisdom. So in the Gemara, they ask, what does it mean, special wisdom? What does it mean? What, he knew uh, math quickly? He knew how to do a few cheshbonot in his head? What does it mean, he knew? Secret, what does he mean? Chazal says in the Gemara, he knew how to put the letters of the Hebrew alphabet together to create just like Hashem created the world. Hashem created the world with letters, with the Hebrew alphabet, Sfat HaKodesh, and he gave... Betzalel, the same chokmah. That's what he used to build the tabernacle, the Aron HaKodesh, all of those things. They said you needed enough chokmah to mamash create the world. If it wasn't written by the Chachamim, by, by Shemit Barach, we wouldn't be allowed to say such a thing. So, I think this is something, I'm not even sure if Shlomo Melech had this wisdom, this specific one. I mean, it says Shlomo Melech had the most amount of wisdom ever, but I'm not really sure if this specific thing was a unique gift just to Betzalel or not. Or maybe they both had it, not sure. Anyway, it says, if you see Ben Azai in a dream, it's a chasidut, anticipate attaining piety. On the other hand, if you see Ben Zoma, anticipate acquiring wisdom. Last but not least, if you see Achel, Elisha Ben Avuya, the former rabbi of Rabbi Meir Baranes, Expect punishment, Expect punishment. Why? It was Rasha. He went off the derech. Went off the derech. So, we see here, and it also talks about Gemara Masechet Sotah, page 49. 
It talks about Ben Azai after he died. There was no more piety. There's no more Hasidim, true Hasidim like him. He was the symbol. And as a matter of fact, he's one of four people that went to see the Pardes. Went to Shemaim. He went to Shemaim. And Hashem, this is a Ma'asim Merkava, they called Ma'am Masechet Chagiga, page 16. Talks about it. And it says that those four people went to the Pardes, went to Shemaim, and saw what's going on in Shemaim. Rabbi Akiva, Elisha ben Avuya, a.k.a. Achel, ben Zoma, ben Azai. Now, ben Azai saw it. He couldn't take it. He said, I, I can't leave this. I can't leave this. I, he saw things that he couldn't imagine could possibly exist. And the Gemara talks about it. The Mepharshim explain how they get up there. What they physically went up in the air, started flying hundreds of years away from here. And like, no, just the Neshamot. The Neshamot went up there. There's no concept of time for the Neshamot. Um, and anyway, they all saw it. They all went there. And Ben Azai fell in love with it and didn't want to come back. He chose to die. He chose to die. So this is also one of the places where they actually uh, talk about This is one of many sources where the Gemara talks about someone that connects to Hashem, truly connects to Hashem, not just reads a few parashot shavua and a few shiurei Torah, or learns a couple of Gemarot, or even learns in yeshiva for 5, 10, 20 years even. Talk about somebody that truly connects to Hashem, where he makes Hashem, Ramash, part of him. It's impossible for him to ever go off the derech. Impossible. So they ask, how could it be? What about Achel? Achel went and saw Ma'asim Kava. He went up to the heavens. He saw things nobody else could see. He came back, he went off the derech, became a kofer, became a murderer, started murdering kids and sending the body parts to different yeshivot. He would go to the yeshiva. He'd ask the, you know, one of the boys, give me your smartest student here. He'd ask the student a question. Student didn't know the answer. He goes, that's what you know. This is your chidush. Kill the, kill the student. Cut him into pieces, started sending body parts to different yeshivot. Became a murderer, became crazy. How could it be? He had power to go see Pardes. And now he's a murderer, now he's a kofer, now he's a mechalel Shabbat. Why they call him Acher? Why they call him Acher? Who gave him the name? The prostitute. Chazak The prostitute gave him the name. One day he decides that he wants the prostitute. And she says, wait a minute. Aren't you Rabbi Elisha ben Avuya? You want to go to that door? So he takes a, uh, he doesn't answer her. He takes a snow. He takes a uh, uh, onion. Not onion. Uh, whatever. A, a vegetable from the ground. He tears it from the ground. He gives her as a gift. Scallion? Scallion. Gives a scallion as a gift. Just be quiet. Take this and let's go do our business. He says, ah! Acheru. He's not. It's not, that's not, that's not Elisha ben Avuya. It's not possible. So initially when I read this, I'm like, what does one thing have to do with the other? First of all, who gives a scallion? I guess in those days they gave a scallion. That's what they gave. Fine. But anyway, Haros, she has, she says, Known guy, not uh, just anybody. He's one of the Gdolei Ador. 
One second you're saying this is God. Oh, the other one, the other second she's saying, no, it can't be you. You're somebody else. You look like him. Why? Because he gave you a scallion? What does a scallion have to do with it? What's the chidush? The chidush is, is that the day that he gave her the scallion and he, t- he took it out of the ground was Shabbat. It was Shabbat. And the zona, the prostitute, realized that maybe a big chacham can fall to such an extent to his Yetzirah that he's going to go with a prostitute. Yetzirah, there's several stories in the Gemara where some of the Chachamim almost fell. Even Rabbi Akiva almost fell. It was the Satan himself. Rabbi Mir Baranis almost fell. It was the Satan himself pretended to be a woman. It's a special test for them. But the point is, is that she says, she, she used her logic. Even though she's a prostitute, she still had a brain. And she says, a chacham, a big, kadosh, holy person, he's a yetzerah, just like me, just like everybody else. He could fall for a prostitute. Possibly. But there's no way that he's a chacham and a mechalel Shabbat at the same time. There's no way. It's impossible to be chacham and mechalel Shabbat at the same time. Impossible. Why? Because in those days, it was common knowledge what Shabbat meant. Today, unfortunately, we don't know what Shabbat means. We don't know. In the Torah, Hashem says there are certain things that are the covenant, certain things that are the deal breakers. Certain things that are deal breakers. You do them, you're breaking the deal. Certain things that He calls the covenant. Tefillin is one of them. Shabbat is one of them. Brit Milah is another one. These are three different things. The Brit Milah, most people think, is just because your parents force the little baby that's eight days old and can't do anything about it to have a brit milah, they're finished. They already fulfilled the, the mitzvah of brit milah. This is absolutely false. Brit milah means you're protecting your brit. This brit milah means you're protecting your brit. Now, someone asked me, they sent me an email, and they said uh, a couple of weeks ago, I told you I had a conversation with Rav Ephraim, certain things that were very, very scary, and I can't tell you what it is because it's mamash too scary. I'll tell you a small taste. Small, small, very small. It's tiny. It's the tiniest of all. He says, Chachamim, the Torah tell us that Avraham Avinu made a brit with Hashem Yitbarach. He says, anybody that goes to Gehenom, anybody goes to Gehenom, makes him, I'm going to go, as long as he has a brit milah, I'm going to take him out. So the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, page 17, says, the deen is... One year. One year he goes to Gehenom, he made this sin, that sin, this sin, that sin, this sin, that sin. I'm going to Avraham Avinu, yet Brit Milah. I'm going to take him out. It's a good deal. The guy beat up some people, stole from some people, did this, did that. Avraham Avinu made a deal with Hashem Barach to go save him. It's a good deal. All of a sudden, all of Am Yisrael became Rechalei Shabbat. Not so far. Not so far. What does the Chachamim say? He says, no, 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 no. You have to know there's a deal. There's a deal breaker. The deal breaker is if the person does not protect their breed, meaning if they waste seed, they go with the Goya, they go with the Nida, which pretty much every woman, every Jewish woman that's not married is Nida. So we're not just talking about somebody's own wife that didn't go to the Mikveh. A woman that's not married is Nida by default. Why? Because she can't go to the Mikveh. Or he went with a Goya, or he wastes seed. Unless he started doing serious, serious, serious tshuva, 
when Avraham Avinu goes to Gainom to start picking up the Jews that made some sins, he can't see him. Why? He has no Brit Milah, according to Avraham Avinu. So what happens? He stays there forever. Stays there. Doesn't go. Doesn't leave. Shem Elohim. You understand what this means? He didn't go to that Gainom for Pgamabrit. He went for something else. He did something, he did this, he did this, he stole, he did this. But he stays there because of the Galilee. That's the Chidush. So, and you really understand it, maybe in a few hours from now you're going to start understanding what I mean. You'll understand why this means, why this is so scary when it's relevant to this generation. So now, Ben Azai is telling us we have certain covenants Certain mitzvot, Brit Milah is one of them, Jenin's one of them, Shabbat one of them. Now Shabbat, most people don't understand the magnitude of Shabbat. Hashem Barak told us that Shabbat is a covenant between me and you. He didn't say between me and everyone. So for anybody, whether they call themselves a rabbi, or they call themselves a Noahide, or they call themselves Batman, doesn't make a difference. The covenant of Shabbat is only between Hashem and Am Yisrael. This is why the Rambam says that any non-Jew, righteous Noahide or not, any non-Jew that observes Shabbat the same way that a righteous Jew observes Shabbat, Zardin Mavet, is heavenly death penalty. Why is it heavenly death penalty? Because they want to be a Hasid, they want to be Tzaddik. Why? If they're not Jewish, why can't you let them keep Shabbat? The Rambam says because this is stealing. Who is it stealing? It's like stealing someone else's bride. The guy has been learning Torah, doing what he's got to do his whole life. 18, 20, 25 years he's learning his whole life. One day he's ready to get married. Why did he, why did he learn so much? Not only for Ratzon Hashem, but also because he wants a good kala. Gemara Masechet Sotah, page 2, says you're going to get a kala just like you. If you have ma'asim tovim, you have good deeds, you're going to get a good kala with ma'asim tovim. You're rasha, you're going to get a rasha'it. That's it. Simple as it gets. What's a rasha? What's a rasha'it? A woman that's not modest. That's what it says. Someone that's a, that's a rasha gets a woman that's not modest. Why not modest? Because if she's not modest, it's impossible for her to be any good. So now, the guy learned his whole life. He went on a shidduch. Finally, she says, you know what? You're the best. Tamit Chacham, you know the Gemara, you know Tosfot, you know this, you know Rambam, you know this. You're Tamit Chacham, you're going to dedicate your life. Oh, Hashem, that's what I wanted my whole life. So the guy is excited. They already went out a few months. Everything is great. Everything is wonderful. He tells Abba, he tells Ima, there's uh, the whole celebration. They do Lechaim, they do the Vort, they do everything. Everything is fantastic. One hour before the wedding, he finds out she's with another man. Rambam says this is the same thing as a goy keeping Shabbat. Why? You stole somebody else's bride. It's not your bride. Shabbat does not belong to you. It belongs to Am Yisrael. Now, this does not mean that a goy has to work on Shabbat. It just means they can't observe it the same way that a Jew does. Meaning that there are 39 things that are specific restrictions that we're not allowed to do on Shabbat. You're not allowed to light fire. 
We're not allowed to tie knots. We're not allowed to untie knots. We're not allowed to take out fire, and so on and so forth. 39 different things that we're not allowed to do. So a Jew obviously has to observe all 39. A non-Jew can't specifically not do those things because it's Shabbat. He could not drive just because he doesn't feel like driving. He could not tie uh, something because he doesn't feel like tying it. He doesn't need to. But if he needs to drive, he must drive. If he needs to light fire, he must light fire. He cannot refrain from lighting fire because of Shabbat. That would make the Shabbat the same thing as a Jew, and he's not allowed to keep it that way. We could celebrate on Shabbat. We could have a nice dinner. We could sing songs. We could learn. He could do whatever he wants. But he's not allowed to refrain specifically from the 39 melachot, just like a Jew. Now this, for some reason or another, is tough for some people to get through their head. They think I'm making this up, like I became some chacham. This is Rambam. You want to disagree with him? Go disagree with him. Good luck to you. What do you want me to tell you? You want to go and play with your life? Play with your life. I have a couple of people. They decide that they want to listen to some uh, yo-yo guy that says that uh, Goim are allowed to keep Shabbat. And he wrote a book about it. He wrote a book about how Goim are allowed to keep Shabbat. He made a new halacha. He became the new modern-day Rambam. He can't be the dust of the Rambam shoes. But he became, he says, a new halacha is a chidush that no one else could ever have, including the Rambam can have. He says Goim are allowed to keep Shabbat. So some people started doing it. And then a few months later, they start telling me, you know, I'm having a lot of problems in my life. My wife uh, just filed for a divorce. Why? Well, I thought last time I spoke to you, three, four months ago, you were happy. Everything was great. You guys were celebrating Shabbat together. Everything was wonderful. He says, yeah, I don't know what happened. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Guess what? He's like, what do you mean you don't know? You're going against the Shem. You're going against the Chachamim. You're going against the Chachamim. It's the same thing as going against the Shem. Same thing. You can't just decide to make your own religion. And that's the second reason the Rambam says that the Goim cannot keep Shabbat. They could be as righteous as Job. Job has a book written about him in the Torah. There's no book about Yaron Ruven. There's a book about Job, though. 24 books in the Torah. One of them is about Job. Job is not Jewish. Job is a Noahide. Job is a Noahide. Job is a Noahide. And righteous, amazing. Alvayalenu to be like him. But he's not allowed to keep Shabbat like a Jew does. Simple as it says. So. The thing is, though, is that people need to understand this is not a personal rule. This is not a personal attack against uh, against Goyim. This is just a simple rule that Hashem made. He says, this is a brit b'ni b'nechem, between me and you. You, referring to Am Yisrael. So for the question that they asked uh, about uh, in regards to uh, keeping Shabbat, Shabbat for Noahide is not allowed if it's the same type of Shabbat as a Jew. Now, on the other hand, the other question they ask is, is about what about if somebody is converting? Once somebody is in the process of conversion, they're allowed to keep Shabbat 99%. 99% through the process of conversion, meaning they're allowed, and they should, not do all 39 things, intentionally not do them, just like a Jew that violates Shabbat once, intentionally. Like, turn on the lights. One second. Not go driving to the mall and to hang out by the beach. Like, you know, if you're in the process of conversion, you're a real convert. Turn on the light once. Or something like that. Something small just to break Shabbat, just to make it 99%. Until the last stage of the conversion, once you have a date of when the conversion is going to be, a month before or so, the Bed Dean tells you, from now on, keep it 100%. 
And that's it. So once you are going through a conversion process, you're allowed to keep uh, Shabbat, you're allowed to learn the entire Torah, because also converts are allowed to learn the whole Torah even while they're converting. Whereas a non-Jew is not allowed to learn the entire Torah, they're only allowed to learn certain parts. They're allowed to learn about the five books of Moses, the Tanakh, the written Torah, but they're not allowed to learn about the specific mitzvot of Am Yisrael. They're not allowed to learn the Gemara, for example, because most of the Gemara is specifically talking about the mitzvot of Am Yisrael. So, as far as someone that's in the process of conversion, they are allowed to keep Shabbat 99% until the last day. So that answers a couple of the questions. So now, Ben Azai, we go back to Ben Azai. Ben Azai, we already see here that he went up to Shemaim and he died. Now, there is a Ma'amad, uh, uh, there's a, uh, I think it's Yafuk Shimoni, where some are saying that he died too early. He died too early, but the common opinion is that he died at 133 years old. So how could 133 years old be too early? So I learned from my Rav, or Ephraim, that it's too early, meaning that he didn't have a name of himself yet. Like he wasn't like Rabbi Akiva. Meaning, even though he's Tzadik, Kadosh, revived the dead, lived 133 years, which is more years than Rabbi Akiva, he's still called Ben Azai, the son of Azai. He's not called by his own name. Why? His father was more famous than him. So that's what they mean. That's the Chidush about why, uh, even though at 133 years old, still considered young. Young meaning he hasn't attained the fame that his father had. So imagine, if he went to the Pardes, imagine his father. So now, Ben Azai, also in the Gemara Masechet Ketubot, there's a uh, big thing about how Ben Azai never got married. But the Gemara Masechet Ketubot says he did get married. Who did he get married to? Rabbi Akiva's daughter. Rabbi Akiva's daughter. So why do they say that he didn't get married? Huh? No, not because of that. Because Rabbi Akiva's daughter was trying to emulate her mother, Rachel. What did Rachel become famous for? She sent her father away. She sent uh, her um, husband away, Rabbi Akiva, when he was still Akiva. Akiva the Amaaretz. She sent him away for 24 years to go learn Torah. So her daughter, Rabbi Akiva's daughter, wanted to do the same thing as Rachel. So she sent Ben Azai away to go learn Torah. She said, Torah is number one. Torah is number one, but there's a Gemara that says that ended up not working out. But she was very, very zealous. Very zealous, like her mom. And uh, in essence, sent him away because learning Torah, she already knew from her mom, from her dad, from her life. It's the number one most important thing in the world. So here we see that sometimes the Chachamim learn from their wives. Learn from their wives. There's actually Gemara in Brachot where uh, Rabbi Meir Baranes has an argument with his wife, Ruya. And she wins. Torah argument, and she wins. What's the Torah argument? There's a bunch of pushaim, a bunch of criminals outside that would torture him every day. Every day he comes back from the kolel, 
torture him every day, bother him, throw stuff at him, bother him. So he started praying for them to die. He was going to pray for them to die. Booyah, his wife, said, no, 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 what are you doing? Hashem doesn't want to kill the Reshaim. Hashem writes in his Torah, she gives him a verse, Hashem wants the Reshaim to do tshuva. Don't pray for them to die. Pray for their sins to die. He says, you're right. He started praying for their sins to die. They did tshuva. They all became his Talmudim. So, Ben Azai is somebody to listen to. You would agree? Went to see the Pradesh, we listen to what he says. So, out of all the things that he says, he says something very common, very known, seems very, very simple. He says, perform even a minor mitzvah, run to it. Small mitzvah, tiny little mitzvah, run to the mitzvah, but run away from the sin. This is the chokhmah. This is what you went to Shemaim for. You went to Shemaim, that's all you got? It's like somebody went to space, and he started seeing wars between the world. There's aliens, there's, I don't know, there's Star Wars, there's, the, there's the Star Trek, there's, I don't know, Pikachu. There's all these guys fighting in the air, and everybody sees there's something going on in the sky. He comes back and says, hey, so tell us. Oh, it's okay, I like the spaceship, it was very clean. What clean? Tell us what happened. Where's Star Wars? Where's Pikachu? Where's this one? What happened? That's all you tell us? The spaceship was clean. You went to Shemaim ben Azai, and all you can tell us is when you see a small mitzvah, go chase it. You see a sin, run away. That's it. He says the secrets in the, what he's saying is a must to cure for your neshama. It continues, which we'll elaborate on. But once a person understands the basic foundation of this Mishnah and actually applies it to their life, their entire world can change. First and foremost, he says, just like in the Mishnah in Avot, chapter 2, 1, the first Mishnah in Avot, it says, don't value mitzvot. Because you never know what's big, what's small. Here he says, he elaborates, he says, even if you think it's small, we already know from Chachmenu Zichonam that you're wrong anyway. But even if you think it's small, whatever it is, go chase it. Go chase it. And if it's a sin, run away. Why? Why is it such a big deal? What's the... Uh, he says the reason why is because Mitzvah goreret mitzvah ve'avera goreret mitzvah. Because one mitzvah leads to another mitzvah and one sin leads to another sin. When the Maran Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo, wrote the Shulchan Aruch, it was accepted worldwide. To this day we go by the Shulchan Aruch. He has a uh, sefer where it's his journal in essence of how he learned every day. In his journal, he writes that every day his chavuta was a malach. Every day, a malach from Shemaim would come down and learn with him chavuta. That's what he learned from. And one day the malach told him, how can you learn Musar today? He writes in his book, the malach rebuked him. He says, you didn't learn enough Musar today. He didn't learn enough Musar. If he didn't learn enough Musar, Rabbi Yosef Kao, that has a Malach studying with him 500 years ago, if he didn't learn enough today, we should learn 24 hours a day. 
But the, the Malach rebuked him. Why you didn't learn Musar today? Not enough. So anyway, so one of the Chachamim in that generation said, you know, as big as the Shulchan Aruch is, I'm not jealous that he wrote the Shulchan Aruch. I'm not jealous. I'm jealous of the mitzvah that he did before he wrote the Shulchan Aruch to give him the merit to write the Shulchan Aruch. Why? Mitzvah goeret mitzvah. One mitzvah leads to another. What was the mitzvah that he did before this one that opened the door? Small mitzvah, tiny, something had to happen. So Ben Azai is telling us first things first. You must understand that the mitzvah that you have in front of you could potentially open up a whole new world. Now in the Mesilat Yesharim, which is highly recommended for everyone to read at least 100 times, that's it, just 100. That's it. It has, in Perik Vav, it's uh, chapter 6, The Virtue of Alacrity. And it says, this is, in essence, the uh, difference you, in previous chapter 5, it talked about the uh, virtue of zeirut. Zeirut meaning being, running away from sins, being worried, being concerned, being conscious of the sin. But here it says, alacrity means you're going to go chase mitzvot. Now, the Gemara and the Mesilat Yesharim give a different definition. The Mesilat Yesharim, the Ramchal says that vigilance, or, um, I'm sorry, the uh, uh, alacrity is different than vigilance because vigilance focuses on avoiding negative commandments, whereas alacrity focuses on positive ones, meaning that Alacrity is that you're going to go try to find mitzvot. Go find a mitzvah, go find a mitzvah, and do it. In essence, the same thing as what the Ben Azai is saying. Ben Azai is saying, go find mitzvot. Small mitzvah, big mitzvah, go do it. The Gemara, though, the Gemara actually translates it differently. In Avodah Zarah, page 20b, it translates it, actually, it's not that you're going to find mitzvot, it's that you've perfected your concern. Your, uh, your vigilance to such an extent that you're actively looking for sins to avoid. You're, you're proactive about looking for sins of how to watch it. What does it mean? You're proactive about not only not going outside and seeing all the people that are wearing underwear, but they think it's clothes. We're not talking about that. You're already thinking about how can I get somebody to go to the store for me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every day so I don't have to leave. How can I already do this, this, and this so I'm not presented with a sin? Okay, my cousin's going to have a wedding in three months. I know he's not exactly the most religious person in the world. He wears a keeper, but it's the size of a quarter. And he doesn't mind men and women dancing in weddings, even though Hashem says, It's better to die and not go to a wedding like that. So I know he's not going to understand when I tell him I can't come to his wedding. I know he's not going to understand. So what do I do? The guy's thinking, what can I do? What do I do? What do I do? Ah, you know what? I'm going to arrange a business trip exactly for that time. That is someone that's conscious. It's proactive about avoiding sin. Because he knows if he tells his cousin, his brother, his sister, whoever it is, listen, I can't come to your wedding, they're not going to understand. Like, ah, you machmir, you this, you too much, you don't even want to use a Shabbat elevator. 
So what does he do? He says, listen, they're not going to listen, and if anything, maybe they're going to get away from Hashem instead of getting closer to Hashem. So let me just make up an excuse of why I can't come. Listen, I have a business trip. It's in Europe. It's in Jehennam. It's in whatever. I can't come. I'm sorry. It's a million-dollar deal. It's a fifty-dollar deal. It's a whatever deal. In reality, you're at home. You don't have to go to Hashem. No one's going to check. But you already have the excuse for three months ahead. Three months ahead, you're already thinking about how I'm going to avoid this to'avat Hashem, this thing that's disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. You're already thinking ahead. So that's the difference between Gemara, how the Mefarshim and the Gemara say, versus Mesilat Yesharim. But in essence, they're both right. In essence, they're both right. They don't contradict each other. So now, Ben Azai says, the most important thing for you to really understand is that there's no such thing as a small mitzvah. No such thing. Why? Because that tiny mitzvah could give you the merit to be the Baal Shulchan Aruch. Why? Because mitzvah goreret mitzvah. Now what's the significance? Why does Hashem so keen on you doing such a uh, every single mitzvah? Seems like a big deal. In reality, what the Chachamim are saying over here is that in reality, if you're not chasing mitzvot, there's something wrong with you. Why? He says, if you're not chasing mitzvot, that means the mitzvot have turned into something boring to you. Have turned into mundane. Have turned into a chore, chas v'shalom. You're saying to Hashem, Hashem, Give us too many mitzvot. Relax. Relax with the mitzvot too much. You know, every time you finish a shiur, it says, it's, it's actually the ma'amar of Chazal that says, Hashem gave us extra mitzvot to give us extra schut, to do extra good things, and so on. So we remind ourselves every day in the Knesset, in Shiur Torah, Hashem gave us extra mitzvot, but someone that's not excited to go look for a chesed to do, to go look for a mitzvah to do, he says to Hashem, it's too much, Hashem, too much, it's too much for you. Too much. Rav Lach. But instead of Hashem saying it to Moshe, Hashem Rechem, you're saying it to Hashem. He says, there's something wrong. There's something seriously, seriously wrong with your understanding of a mitzvah. Why? In Teilim, there's a famous Teilim, there's also a famous song from maybe the 1980s, 70s, something like that. There used to be an Israeli singer. Um... This guy named Zohar Argov. Zohar Argov was a very talented singer and uh, unfortunately didn't have Torah, so he fell to drugs. Became addicted, ruined his life, and eventually killed himself in jail. But before all that happened, he was very, very talented and he wrote some good songs. And there's one song that is very famous. And he sings it, and it says, he uses a verse from Teilim. Teilim, it says, Al tashlicheni le'et zikna kichlot kochi al ta'azveni. It's in Psalm 71.9. 71.9. So David HaMelech tells to Hashem, don't send me to old age. Don't leave me when I don't have any more power, in so many words. So he sings this, this verse is in one of his songs. So I'll go to the song and he sings it very nicely. My father loves this song, God bless him. Loves this song. And every time there's a uh, wedding or a bar mitzvah or a brit milah, 
he makes sure that the uh, the music has this song on. He sings it, and he sings it good. He sings it good. Uh, so anyway, so when I saw this chidush, I uh, I actually I, I, it's really shocking to me because in reality Zohar has no idea what he's talking about. Why? Because Zohar is talking about the plain meaning of this, which is that. As if David HaMelech is saying to Hashem, don't make me an old man. Don't leave me as an old man. But that's not what David HaMelech is saying. What David HaMelech is saying, don't leave me. When I made your mitzvot, if I ever, chas v'shalom, if I ever make your mitzvot like it's mundane, like it's not important to me, don't leave me at that moment. Pull me back in. Let me understand that the mitzvot are really important. That's what David HaMelech is saying in this verse. He's not, oh, I'm afraid to be old. That David Melech is afraid to be old. David Melech knew, he's Kodesh Kodeshim. He knew that this world is just a corridor. You live here 70 years, and then you go to the eternal world. He's not worried about being old. What he's saying is that if the mitzvot get old, to me, it's my mistake. Don't leave me, please, Hashem. It's a mistake, only for today. I made a mistake today. He made a mistake, maybe, maybe, maybe a half a second in his life. We have yet to do it right. Tell the guy, listen, it's a fast day tomorrow. Oh, it's a fast. Oh, man, I can't believe I'm so hungry. I'm like, no, no, tomorrow is the fast. To- tomorrow is the fast. You don't have to fast now. Tomorrow is the fast. Oh, I'm so hungry. How am I going to? Yeah, today you can eat. Eat whatever you want. Shrekha, enjoy. Tomorrow is the fast. I'm thirsty too. It's hot. It's hot. No, no, it's tomorrow. The guy's already worried about the food for tomorrow that he's not going to eat. He's not. Oh, come on. Is, is this fast? You have to fast this one? This is like Yom Kippur. You have to ask the best question. You have to. Is there leniency? Can we do this? Does this one that you, you don't really have, like they say you should do it, but you don't really have to? Is there leniency? You have to fast this one? Or is this like one of those fasts, like you don't really have to do, but it's like if you're tzaddik, you do. That's the best question. You have to do this one? No, I'm not a charidi, you know, kvodarav. I'm, I'm just coming Baal Tshuva. Baal Tshuva, 20 years. What Baal Tshuva? 20 years, Baal Tshuva. What Baal Tshuva? You're just keeping Shabbat like a, like a cow for 20 years. That's not Baal Tshuva. It's time to progress. Do the rest of the mitzvah. Not Shabbat sleep all day. But the guy says, oh, you worry about tomorrow. Oh, it's going to be hot. It's going to be cold. Yeah, but you're inside anyway. You're not, we're not telling you to go fast outside in 95-degree weather. You're outside. You have air conditioning, Baruch Hashem. You're not Moshe Rabbeinu in the desert 40 years. Eh, so worried about the fast, so worried about the mitzvot. Oh, now, now what's the what's the thing? Slichot. We talk about slichot. No, how can I get out of it? Come on, kvod arav. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. It's not for human beings. Even the rooster is not up at 5 o'clock in the morning. You want me to be up? The rooster is still sleeping. I'm going to wake him up. He's supposed to wake me up. Can we do after? <laughs> <laughs> so we're looking for leniencies. If we're looking for leniencies, we're missing it. Yes, there are leniencies, and yes, we said already last week that it's not big chokhmah to just be stringent. But at the same token, if you're constantly looking for leniencies, you're on your way to be a menuval. You're on your way to being a despicable person. Why? Because a person that's constantly looking for leniencies, even when it's not really 
appropriate to be lenient becomes what the Ramban calls Naval Birshuta Torah. So in essence, the only reason he's learning Torah is to look for the leniency, not to look for the truth. Now, if you're looking for a leniency, you'll always find it. Why? There's always Christianity. They're so lenient, they have no rules. You want to still call yourself Jewish? Okay, go to Reform. They give bar mitzvahs to dogs. They don't do, they don't do the rest of the mitzvahs, but the, God forbid the dog doesn't have bar mitzvah. They don't want to have modesty. They don't want to have kosher. They don't want to have Shabbat. But chas v'shalom, the dog. We're going to disrespect the dog and not give him a bar mitzvah. Come on, what do you think of us? What kind of people do you think we are? So, leniencies you could always find. Leniencies you could always find. But what's the truth? What's the truth? Now, in regards to a leniency, in regards to the truth, a person needs to understand that even though there's black and white in Judaism, and for the most part, everyone knows you're not allowed to light fire on Shabbat, everyone knows you're not allowed to drive on Shabbat, everyone knows. There is certain things that are you could have a lenience for one person, but no lenience for another person. And what does that depend on? That depends on who your rabbi is, who your rabbi is. So the story goes that Rav Tzion ben Abba Shaul was one of the Gdoleado, one of the major poskim of the last several generations. He was Chavruta with Rav Avadia his whole life. And even though they have a few things that they have machloket on, they would study every day. They live one on top of the other. Their whole life, they live next to each other. He would have one floor, the other one have his own floor. They would smash on the ceiling. You ready? You ready? And they start. War. No, this, no, this, no, this, no, this. All day. Sometimes they disagreed. But still, they loved each other beyond the, uh, any type of love you could imagine. But one of the things that Rav Tzion Abashol used to say is, Baruch Hashem, no one listens to me. Baruch Hashem is telling his Talmidim, Baruch Hashem, none of you listen to me. You always do whatever you want anyway. So why would it be good? According to Rav Tzion Obviously, it's not his opinion. It has to be Da'at Torah. This person is glued to the Torah. It's not like he has a hobby. He goes uh, car racing on weekends. Torah is the only thing he has. Begin and middle end. That's it. That's all he has. He's telling you, Da'at Torah, Baruch Hashem, you're not listening to me. How could it be good? According to the Torah, not to listen to the rabbi. Good question. Maybe was? No, there's no such thing as machmir. Machmir means someone that's stringent. No, there's no such thing as a posek. You're not allowed to be machmir all over the place. There are certain things that you uh, posek, certain things that's more stringent than another person, but it's not because that's the uh, um, uh, humra. That's the halacha. Humra means it's beyond halacha. You're just adding to it. You're just adding to it. For example, Hasidut. Hasidut has a lot of chumrot. So, for example, the way they dress, the way that they protect the bleat, the way that they do certain things, that is beyond the law. That's Hasidut. That's chumrah. 
But as far as halacha, there's no chumra halacha. Shabbat is Shabbat, regardless of which sect of Judaism you go to, as long as it's orthodox, obviously, not reform or conform or whatever the other stuff they have, as long as it's real Judaism, Shabbat is Shabbat, kosher is kosher, nida is nida, tara is tara, everything is the same. It's just that there is, chumra is something that's beyond halacha. So no one can ever say, no, 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 mixed weddings, we're allowed to go because we're modern orthodox, so we're allowed to go to mixed weddings. No, you're not allowed to have mixed dances and weddings. It doesn't matter which sect of Judaism you are, there's no such leniency to go to a wedding, bar mitzvah, bark mitzvah, uh, hot mitzvah, pizza hut, whatever, where there's mixed dancing, you're not allowed to be there. Why? If God's not there, you're not allowed to be there. And God cannot be there. Huh? Chalav Israel. Chalav Israel is, a, is in essence a chumrah at this stage simply because of uh, Moshe Feinstein gave uh, Alakha that uh, the chalav of, uh, of the going of Amer- America has too many laws where there's no way that they would actually go and get camel milk instead. It's too expensive. The camel milk will be more expensive than the cow milk. So if you want to just eat, drink regular uh, milk, that's kosher milk, no problem. So as far as alakha, alakha is alakha. You want to do a chumrah, you want to, let's say for example, you want to do chalav Israel, ashrecha, you can do it, great. You'll get a special blessing from Shemayim. But if you drink regular milk, that's kosher milk in America, you're perfectly fine and no Jew is allowed to even look at you and say you're doing something wrong. They're not allowed. You're not, never allowed to put a stringency on yourself and frown on people that are not putting a stringency on themselves. Now, we have to go back to the same question. If we have alakha, black, white, we call Rabziona Bashaul for the Rav. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I have a pressing life and death question. Is it allowed to do ABC? Yes, no. He said, I have to look at it. I have to, you know, not, not everything is off the cuff. I have to look at the Puskim, what happened over the last thousand years. Not like us, we go on Google and we see the first thing that pops up because they pay for advertising, okay, this must be good. Yeah, but it's Christianity. Yeah, that's okay. It's the first thing. It must, it must be good. It's the first one on Google. The first one on Google. Yeah, but it's reform. It's conservative. Yeah, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's on the first page. They must know what they're doing. So he would go into the books, oh, for scheme over the last thousand years, two thousand years. He would look into the books, see what the truth is. Sometimes it would take two, three days to give you an answer. And he would give, call the guy after two, three days, give him an answer. He goes, oh, no, don't worry. I, already did that. I don't need it anymore. So he worked three days straight, no sleep, no eating, no nothing, barely prayed to get you an answer. He calls you after three days. Then, no, no, we already, we already did it. It's okay, don't worry about it. He says this happened to him countless times in his life. And he says, Baruch Hashem, that this happened. But they're not listening to me. Why? Is it wrong? You think he studied for three days, got, he put Allah together and he's wrong? You can't put Allah together if you're wrong. If, he, it's, if he's wrong, there's no Allah. He says, I don't know. You don't make Allah, I'm wrong, but by the way, say, do this. That's like saying, by the way, I know you can't fly, but just go jump in the air and see what happens. No. If there's Allah, that means this is Moshe Rabbeinu from Mount Sinai. Has to be 100%. There's no such thing as, no, maybe I'm wrong. Anyone that writes Alakha, that has Yirat Shemaim, of course, has Yirat Shemaim, pretty much has to swear on his life, this is true. If it's not true, and he writes it, that means there's no Yirat Shemaim, that means you're not allowed to listen to him anyway. 
So how could he say, thank God they don't listen to me. You're in a somewhat near direction. You're in a near direction. Doesn't matter. He still is. The, uh, Hashem gave the Chachamim the uh, job of being poskim, translating the law, translating the Torah. So the answer is in the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 54. It says that when a Chacham has a Kela and he tells them nothing. Nothing. He doesn't do anything. So people drive on Shabbat to Beknesset. He doesn't say anything. He says all of their Chilule Shabbat go to him. Understand? Why? Because he never said anything. This already is not a Chidush. This is already we say. A rabbi that has a Keilah. His Keilah has a bunch of Mechale Shabbat. They drive up to Shul. They drive to wherever. They eat non-kosher. They do things like that. He knows. doesn't say anything. He is considered the Mechalel Shabbat for all of their sins. He goes to Shammai and they say, Oh, here's the Mechalel Shabbat 50 times a week. What are you talking about? Kep Shabbat. I kept Shabbat with the... I learned from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I learned from this Rebbe and that Rebbe and this Rebbe. I'm Kep Shabbat. Every Shabbat you violate it 50 times. What are you talking about? Every one of your members of your Kilah, or half of them, drove to the Bekinesan on Shabbat. You never said anything for 30 years. All of the Chilulei Shabbat goes to your account also. They also die as Mechalei Shabbat, Shemachem. But you also are Mechalei Shabbat. So this is not a Chidush. This is already, we learned this many times in previous shurim. What's the Chidush? Rav Sion says, when someone is actually your rabbi, when they are your rabbi, they are in essence responsible for all of your actions. What does it mean if they're your rabbi? That means that whatever they say goes. They say you're allowed to go, you go. They say you're not allowed to go, you don't go. doesn't matter if you agree or disagree. It doesn't matter what some book says. Your rabbi says, no, no. Same thing like God said it to you. God said to you, don't go, you don't go. The Torah says, your rabbi, you should have Yirat Shamayim from him, like you have, you have, you should have Yirat from him, like you have Yirat Shamayim. You're afraid of him, like you're afraid of God. He says, no, no. That's if he's your rabbi. But that also puts him, makes him accountable. If you don't have Parnassah, it's his fault. If you don't have Zivug, it's his fault. If you don't have something, it's his fault. Everything is his fault. He gets deemed for it. Also, he gets punished for it. If you're violating Shabbat, he gets deemed for it. Why? He didn't teach you Alachot Shabbat. Why didn't you teach him Alachot Shabbat? If he is not, doesn't know how to treat his wife, it's the rabbi's fault. Why didn't you teach him Shalom Bayit? Why didn't you teach him? Why is he yelling at his wife? Why is he cheap to his wife? Why does he go and hang out with his parents on the weekend instead of being with his wife and kids? Why? What makes him think that he's allowed to go hang out with his parents instead of his wife? Well, who told? Where is it written in the books? Where? Which book said that? Which? Maybe the Christian book, the Reform book, the conservative book, the atheist book. But Judaism, already in Parashat Bereshit, Parashat Bereshit, it says that a husband must leave his parents' home to be with his wife. Why? Because his wife is like him. It's his own body. And the Rambam Posek, Alakha, Rambam Posek La Alakha, he says he must. He must 
love his wife like he loves his own body and honor her more than his own body. Give her more honor, more respect than himself, but love her just like he loves himself. Meaning, just like he wouldn't take a few lines of cocaine to go kill himself on purpose, he has to make sure his, his wife is protected. Just like he wouldn't go destroy his olam haba, he makes sure that his wife is not destroying olam haba. Which also means that if she's not modest, he has to tell her, honey, you can't not be modest. Why? Because I love you. Not because I'm rebuking you because I feel like telling you what to do. I don't want you to lose your olam haba. So he has a responsibility. So now, if he doesn't follow this responsibility, and he goes and he hangs out with his parents on the weekend instead of with his wife and kids, he goes, hangs out with the boys and has a couple of beers with, the, with, the, with his friends. He goes and he leaves them to just live their life as if they're not really a part of his life. This is no different than eating pig. But all day, not eating pig one time. All day eating pig. Imagine, all day eating pig. You haven't stopped eating all day eating pig. Why? Because your wife is crying all day because you went and hung out with your friends, had a couple of beers, watched the game. She hasn't seen you in three days, but you decided to go watch football. Now, if you ask a Jew, any Jew, any Jew, even people that are not religious, you ask any Israeli, you can eat pig? Shalom. Okay, what do you think I am? I'm a Jew. I'm not only pig. I don't keep Shabbat. I don't do this. I don't eat pig. It's disgusting. It's this. It's that. I mean, you train kids, little kids, you tell them pig is disgusting. They think it's disgusting. You teach a, a Jew, tell them, listen, would you bring it into your house? Tell him, listen, I just told you I wouldn't eat. You think I'm going to bring it to my house? Why would I bring it to my house? As a pet? What am I going to do with it? He goes, no, 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 to put it in your kitchen. Put it, maybe cook it for your wife, for your kids. He goes, no, I wouldn't eat. Of course, I wouldn't feed them that. So why are you making your wife miserable? What makes you think that making your wife miserable by being cheap, by not paying attention to her, by not spending a little bit of time with her, learning some Torah with her, talking to her, what makes you think that that is not a sin that's greater than eating pig? What makes you think that? What makes you think that you could just yell at her like you're some Arab from, uh, from uh, Palestine over there? You know, there was one time an Arab that uh, had his uh, wife walk in front of him. And uh, even though the Jews also you're not supposed to let the wife walk in front of you. You're supposed to be either next to you or slightly one step behind you or the same level where you are, but she shouldn't walk in front of you. The Arabs, they're not doing it for the halakha. They're doing it because they frown upon women. For us, it's because of modesty. It's not good for a man to walk behind a, front, uh, behind a woman. It's not allowed. If there's a woman walking in front of you, you must pass her. You're not allowed to walk behind a woman. Like for an stretched walk. If it's two seconds, whatever, fine, go walk. But you can't, if you're walking, let's say, down some hill or some park, you can't walk behind some women. Why? Because you're going to have thoughts. So, but the Arabs don't do it for that. They do it because they don't like women. They abuse women. So, but one time there was an Arab that had his wife walking in front of him in the desert. So some uh, sheikh tells him, hey, hey, what are you doing? That's a death penalty. What are you doing? Why are you letting your wife walk in front of you like that? Muhammad didn't allow it. He goes, listen, listen. In the days of Muhammad, the desert wasn't full of mines. It wasn't full, full of mines. Now the desert is full of mines, so I let her go in front of me. 
Only two of you left. I tried hard on this joke, guys. You're killing me. I try hard with my jokes. I'm weak on jokes. You guys got to laugh. Last joke, exactly. Last joke was four months ago. I got two people laughing. See? So it's not worth it to invest in jokes. So he let his wife walk in front of the mind shop. Come on, man. Awake. I just did it. It didn't actually happen. It's a joke. You guys are killing me. Killing me, guys. You're killing me. I think the people on the internet at least are laughing. People on the internet are laughing. Yeah, they're sending me WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah, good job, guys. At least you guys got it. At least you guys got it on the internet. I got 30 people here that don't even know. They're half asleep, half awake. No one knows how to laugh. I think somebody got just depressed from the joke. I'm not sure what's happening. So, so anyway. Well, how did we even get to this joke? Oh, so Rav Tzion is telling us it's good when you don't listen to me. It's good. Why it's good? He says, because if I was your rabbi, that means every sin you would make would go to my account. They could ask me in Shemaim, oh, he violated Shabbat because you didn't teach him. He violated Tarak Mishpacha because you didn't teach him. He violated this because you didn't teach him. It's your fault too. So thank God, Baruch Hashem, you don't listen to me because that means I'm not really your rabbi. So that means in Shemaim, I have to worry about nothing. Make you do what you got to do. Don't listen, Baruch Hashem. I'm fine. I'm fine. Why? I don't want your sins. Unless you're going to listen to everything I say. You understand? So Baruch Hashem, you don't listen to me. Because it's still his job. It's still his job to be a posek for those that will listen. But the point is, is that it's a, you know, you have poskim, they have a job, they have a role to do, which is to give the, uh, you know, the understanding for the, for the people that are going to listen. But he says, if you're really your rabbi, he says in this generation, there really isn't many people. There are some, obviously, there's always exception to rules, but there aren't many people that accept anyone as a rabbi. Anyone as a rabbi. Uh, because people like to get multiple opinions, but they're not necessarily looking for multiple opinions because they're looking for the truth. They're multiple opinions because they're shopping around. They're shopping around for Rav Noach. What's Rav Noach? The lenient rabbi. Who is the one that's going to tell me it's allowed? Now, there's a rule. There's a rule of how to ask questions that people violate on a regular basis. It's a very big rule that people violate. Now, if you remember the, uh, the uh, story I told you that's in the Gemara, there was a big fight. There was a big fight uh, between, um, uh, in the Bedin, Rabban Gamliel and um, Rabbi Yoshua. There was a big fight because somebody asked uh, Rabban Gamliel, are Jews allowed to do certain things? And uh, he says, uh, allowed. He goes, yeah, but Rabbi Yoshua said, not allowed. Rabbi Yoshua said, not allowed. He goes, okay, so wait. And ask it again when he comes, when everybody else comes to the kolel. And then he asked it again, and there was a big balagan after that. He asked again, and uh, he gave the same answer. And uh, Rabban Gamliel said, does anybody have a different opinion? Rabbi Yoshua said, no, no one has a different opinion. He says, well, but I have a student over here that says you do have a different opinion. So really, the root of the problem is not the different opinion. 
The root of the problem is the same problem that we have today, believe it or not. This problem has not been fixed in 2,000 years, 2,500 years maybe. What's the problem? There's a specific law of how to ask questions that they did not follow. This Talmud caused problems not because of his question. He caused problems because of the way he asked the question. When you are asking a second rabbi, you ask one rabbi, yes or no. He says whatever he says. He says yes or no. If you're going to ask a second rabbi, you could ask as many rabbis as you want. You could ask an infinite amount of rabbis. You could ask, I don't know, I just got uh, 15,000 rabbis, a uh, list of 15,000 rabbis. You want to ask all 15,000? Go ask 15,000. But there's a rule of how to ask. What's the rule? You have to tell them which rabbi told you what before you ask the question. Along the question. Meaning, listen, am I allowed to do A, B, C? Rabbi so-and-so said yes. What's your, what's your opinion according to your understanding of Allah? Rabbi so-and-so said yes. Do you agree? Disagree. That's how you ask questions. You're not allowed to ask a question and say, what do you think? Yes or no? As if it's a brand new question and you never asked anybody. And then he answers you and he says no. He goes, yeah, but Rabbi so-and-so said yes. Why? Because number one, you're creating machloket. Number two, maybe Rabbi so-and-so knows you better and to you it's no. This rabbi doesn't know you. So, for example, there was a couple of Tamidim came to a rabbi, and they said, "Kvod Rav." First one comes to him, he says, "Kvod Rav, I wanna, you know, I know we have laws in the yeshiva that everybody has to go to sleep at ten and ten p.m., but I'm really trying to finish the shas this year, and I wanna learn for an extra two hours. So, can I go to sleep at twelve? Rabbi says, "Absolutely, do it." Second guy right after him, they were right next to each other. Second guy said, "Yeah, Kvod Rav, I'm gonna try to do the same thing." I want to finish the shas. I want to learn an extra two hours. Can I go to sleep at 12 o'clock? No. Wait a minute. You just told my friend he's allowed. Why am I not allowed? It's not fair, right? It seems like it's not fair. But the rabbi knows his students. Says this guy, he shows up early to Nitz. Nitz is already at 6 o'clock in the morning. He shows up at 4.30 to study an extra hour and a half before prayer. You barely show up at 6.30. You're a half hour late every day. So if you sleep less, you're not going to show up at all. Maybe you're not going to show up the whole week if you don't sleep. So you are not allowed to sleep less. You must come. You must sleep. So there's certain laws for certain people based on the rabbi's knowledge of his own students. So it's not that there's different opinions in the Torah. There's different based on the students. Now, if you're a brand new student, I'm not necessarily going to tell you all the details of Gehenom. Why? Because you'll break. But if you're a veteran student, maybe I'll tell you 1% of what I know about it. Why? Because even if I tell you two, you'll probably break anyway. Uh, simply because it's tough. It's tough to do. Now, for anybody out there, just so you know, in the Or um, Israel, uh, Rabbi Israel Misalad says there are some people, you tell them about punishment, you tell them about genom, you tell them about uh, this, all these different things, and they, they like it. Certain people, I know some people, they like it. I was one of them. They like hearing about gay norm. They like it. It's scary, but they like it. He says those people, it's not that they like it because they like to hear about bad things. They like it because, unfortunately, they have such a big yetzara, such a klipa, they're numb. They're numb. They've become numb to pain. They've become numb to, really, the truth. And you have to continue teaching them to keep peeling it off because eventually they're going to really understand what you said in the first year. 
It's not that they you need to tell them everything about Gainom. It's just that even the basics of what you tell them, they're numb. They're not feeling it. They're not really comprehending 100%. And Hashanah is not accepting everything. 100% to really understand the level of magnitude of the sin, the consequence of the sin. Because the Neshama is numb. So certain people are numb, certain people are dead. Some people are in the middle. So anyway, if you like to hear about stuff like that, it's not necessarily a compliment. It's not necessarily the greatest thing. It's not a bad thing either. It's just a, uh, you should know that you need to work on Yirat Shemaim. That's what Rabbi Yisraelim says. So, um, Rabbi Tzion Abba Shaul says, if I'm your rabbi, a big deal. It's a big responsibility. I don't want that responsibility for just anyone. If you're tzaddik, you're going to listen to everything I say, no problem. If you're not, I don't want it. I don't want I don't want the responsibility. So, moving on, Ben Azai continues and he says, chase the mitzvot, chase them as much as you can because the most important part is for you to understand that the smallest mitzvah, the smallest mitzvah could open up Gan Eden for you. The smallest mitzvah, the tiniest thing, could open up the next big mitzvah. There is a uh, Rabbi Yudha Lieb, Ashlag, says a story, says that the, uh, how do you know if someone is doing his mitzvah the right way? Yes, Kavanah. Yes, Kavanah. How do you know? If he's chasing no mitzvot, that means he has Kavanah. That means when he does mitzvot, he's doing it with his full heart. He's doing it with full passion. Why? Because if he's doing the mitzvah the right way, he's getting joy out of it also. That means he's going to want more. But if he is doing the mitzvah just to do it, he goes to Bikneza because he knows he has to go to Bikneza. He calls his wife because he knows he has to call his wife. He eats kosher because that's what they fed him. He went to me, you know, to this, and he went to shul, and he went to this, and he does everything because he has to do it. You know, like one of those, like, you know, one of those, like, 12-year-olds who doesn't want to go. No, I don't want to go, Ema, I don't want to go. Like one of those? He's like that, but he's 37. I don't want to go to the minyan, I don't want to go. But you have to. You know, one time there was a guy... Start screaming in the morning. No, no. You have to wake up. Okay, okay, in a few minutes. No, come on, you got to wake up. Shlomo, you have to wake up. No, come on, you have to go to school. Ah, I don't really want to go. I'm not going. I'm, I'm, I'm not going. No, come on, you have to go. Come on, Shlomo, you have to go. I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going. I, I, I'm not going. I, they hate me over there. They make fun of me. They, they, they abuse me all the time. I'm not going. Shlomo, you have to go. No, come on, get up. It's already 8 o'clock. You have to go. I'm not going. I, they hate me. They hate me. They, they, they're, they're always abusing me. They're always beating me up. I just can't. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Shlomo, you're the principal. <laughs> Second joke in one year, I got halves. No more jokes. That's it. You guys are fired. No more jokes. Internet, you laughing? I got one. I got a couple of smileys. That's killing me. You guys, tough crowd. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. You guys are serious people. You guys only learn about Gainom. Don't want to have jokes. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> then Azai says, when, when you have mitzvah with kavanah, you're going to want more. 
you're going to want more. On the other hand, he says, if you're not careful, you're going to start making sin. But you know, the Satan doesn't come to you with Chilul Shabbat right away. He comes to you with small little things. He says, listen, salad, you can buy it from anywhere. Salad, you can buy it from Starbucks, this box, that box, Subway. You can buy it anywhere. Yeah, but the rabbi said that there's worms. There's worms, and you know, the Greens don't have to wash their uh, salads like the Jews. They don't have to put it in salt water. They don't have to put it in soap water. They don't have to do it. So there's going to be worms, and it's a sin. Yetzirah tells you, come on, you believe him? Look at the cell. It looks delicious. You think there's uh, worms in it? If there's worms, they already died. Yetzirah comes to you with a small little thing. It looks like it's not a big deal. Yetzirah comes to you and says, no, come on, you coming to the party? Come on, it's your best friend. He's having his uh, vert. He's having a celebration. He just got his zivug. You're not going to go. He's like, no, but come on. There's going to be modesty over there. His wife is not exactly the most modest person in the world, and her mom is even less modest. I'm going to go see that. No, come on, he's your best friend since kindergarten. You're not going to go see your best friend. Wish him mazal tov. What kind of friend of you? Small little thing. It looks like a small sin. What is this like? This is like, you ever see no circuses? Circus? Well, there's big elephants. Thousands of pounds. Bigger than five cars. Elephant. Huge. Giant. But the trainer has him on a tiny little dog leash. You ever notice that? Giant. Thousands of pounds. Elephant. And the trainer brings him to the circus with a tiny little leash. Come on, little pussy. Come, come, come. Elephant can eat the guy. If he really wants to, he can just go like this. The guy flies across the circus. He becomes a circus. Why is the elephant going? Why is the elephant listening to him? Why is he listening to him? Tiny little leash. This leash, even if the, even if the guy is as strong as the guy that pulls planes with his teeth, the elephant wants. He breaks the leash. Why is he coming with this tiny little leash? The same thing like Ayetzerah. Ayetzerah is the same thing as the trainer. He trained us. He trained us since we were little. When you were born, you were only born was a Yetzirah. Yetzirah Tov didn't come until your Bar Mitzvah or Bat Mitzvah. So that means that since you were a baby, little baby, Yetzirah has been training you with tiny little sins. First sin was, go slap Ima in the face. Three years old. What's she going to do? So he goes, Pah! And he starts laughing. <laughs> he thinks it's nothing. It's cute. He's a little three years old. It's actually kind of cute. It's funny. The father's laughing. First thing he does, he slaps Ima. Next thing you know, the Abba gets it also. He thinks it's cute. Everybody thinks it's cute. Funny. No, ha, 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 ha. Yetzirah says, good, good, good. Get, get used to these small little things. Everybody's laughing. Everybody's cute. Get, get away with it while you can. Next thing you know, no, no, no. There's chocolate in the store. Take it. Put it in your pocket. Six years old. Put a little chocolate in his pocket. Stole it from the store. No. No one knows. Yetzirah knows he knows. He's going to remember it 30 years later that he put in the chocolate. Abba doesn't know. Ima doesn't know. Yetzirah knows. He's training them little by little. By the time he's 13 years old, Yetzirah already has him on a leash. By the time he's 20, he's a giant elephant. He's 300 pounds. But he's walking with a tiny little leash. Yetzirah doesn't even have to try anymore. 
Yetzirah doesn't have to try anymore. Let's go look over there, look over there, look over there, look at every single woman that walks, look at her. That's why you see the guys, they walk in the street, like you're one of those fountains of water. They look at anything that moves. If it has a body, if it has something, it goes. Even sometimes if it's a mannequin, they'll look at that too. Everything they look at. And wives sometimes ask, no, my husband, you know, he's not paying attention to me. He's not paying attention to me. He's hanging out with his friends. He's not this, he's not that. I don't know, I don't know. What's the first question you ask? Do you have a TV in your house? Do you have a TV in your house? Yes. Is the TV connected to a cable channel or some news network or is it connected to a computer where you're just watching, let's say, I don't know, uh, some uh, pre-programmed, uh, you know, Torah or something like that? No, no, he watches cable every day. Oh, he watches cable? Okay, that's fine. What do you mean? What does it have to do with him looking or me not paying attention or something like that? No, because he's already married to 50,000 other women. Every night he comes home, he sees on the news channel, on the HBO channel, on the Showtime channel, on all these channels, he sees all the women that he wants to be with. And then he looks at you, Tisha B'Av, you're in your pajamas. He says, this is what I have, this is what I have. He compares, he doesn't want to look at you anymore. It's your fault, it's not his fault. It's your fault. Your fault. You let him look at other women. Voluntary. You're even watching it with him. Oh, honey, let's watch Desperate Housewives. Oh, a show about immodest women. Just say, let's watch it. Let's just go to Ganom and have fun. Go to the beach there. It's your fault. It's your fault he doesn't like you. It's your fault he yells at you. It's your fault he thinks you're fat. It's your fault he thinks you're not this. It's Why? Because you're constantly telling him, go look at this girl. Go look at this girl. Go look at this one. You're bringing him the girls. What do you expect him to do? Not look? What do you expect? You're bringing it to him. You're bringing it to him. Honey, let's go watch the show together. Let's go to the movies. Watch this new actress that's half naked or sometimes completely naked, but she got $25 million and people think it's a good thing. Hashem pays them to their face to destroy them. Woman goes naked, shows the whole world that she, she her body naked for $20 million. She's the stupidest person on earth. But you bring him to the movies to go watch her. Look, what do you think of her, honey? Well, I thought of her much better than I think of you right now, but I have to go home with you and not her. That's what, I re- that's what he really wants to tell you. And when I'm going to be with you later, I'm going to be thinking about her. That's what's actually happening. But whose fault? It's not him. He's the elephant. You've become the trainer. The wife became the trainer. The wife became an employee of the Satan himself. Why? She's, she's bringing him to, to, the, to the wolves. And you, you're, you're surprised. He's looking at other women. He doesn't like you anymore. He doesn't want you anymore. He doesn't this. He doesn't that. So all these women that are having shlom bite issues when it comes to that, the first question is, do you have a TV? You watch movies together. Do you do all that stuff? If you do, that's the reason. It's the first reason. Why? It's too much. It's too much of a bait for him. Too much. No man can withstand it. We're not women. We don't think like that. Women look at a guy and they think about his personality. Oh wow, he looks so nice. He's so funny. Ha ha ha. A guy doesn't think about a personality, and even if he's married to her for twenty years, he doesn't want to own our personality. Why? Because a guy is an animal. Without Torah, he's 100% an animal. 
So now, the Satan is training us. Since we're little babies, only weapon we have is Torah. Only weapon we have. Without Torah, we're the elephant that's being pulled by a little string. And eventually, no string. He just tells us what to do. You lift two legs, lift on your head, lift on your knee, lift on this. Without a string at all, you're already doing tricks. You're doing flips, you're doing this. Why? Trained really well. So he says, why? Why did this happen to us? Because you weren't excited to do mitzvot. It's not because you were excited for the sin. It all started because you were a lazy bum and you didn't chase mitzvot. Instead of going to Bikneset, you want to sleep till 11. Instead of going to Shur Torah, and you, you wanted to watch it on YouTube. You didn't want to drive an extra half hour, an extra hour to go to Shur Torah. You wanted to watch it from the convenience of your couch with the popcorn. He says you weren't willing to do Mesirut Nefesh for the Torah. That means you didn't have the merit of Torah. And on top of that, you had to occupy your time with something. Shlomo HaMelech says, boredom leads to sin. If you do nothing, you're going to end up sinning. You have to do something. Now, the first sin, small sin, tiny sin. What's a small sin? One minute, one minute. Would you say one minute? How much bad could possibly happen in one minute? What could possibly go wrong with one minute? If I told you that one minute, and really one second, is the difference between life and death spiritually forever. Would you believe me? One second is the difference between you being lazy or you being excited about mitzvot. It would make a difference of whether you survive Yom Kippur or not. Why? That one second, if you started to think about Shabbat on Friday afternoon, that means that by the time you finish cooking, it's already, there's only maybe 15 minutes late. 15 minutes before Shabbat comes. You go take a shower. You go get dressed. Da, 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 da. Before you know it, you light the candles. Mitzvah. Kedusha. Wife lighting candles. This is one of the three important mitzvot that the, we say in Shabbat, in Masechet Shabbat. This is the three important mitzvot for a woman. Three mitzvot. Shabbat, the, the actual lighting of the candles. The challah and nida. Three critical mitzvot that they review in Shamayim on a regular basis. When? When the woman is about to give birth. Why when a woman is about to give birth? Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 34, I believe. It says that at that moment she's in sakana, she's at risk. Malach HaMavet comes to Shamayim and says, Look, Hashem, she lit the candles. She lit the candles every Shabbat. Every Shabbat, she was one second late. In Shemaim, that's Chilu Shabbat 100%. One second, one second late means you lit candles, you lit fire on Shabbat. One second. I'm not talking about 20 minutes, a half hour, or you decide like the Reform people to light candles like in the afternoon on the next day because it's nice and it smells good. No, we're talking about you think you do mitzvah. Mitzvah one second into Shabbat is the difference between life and death at the moment she's about to give birth. Satan comes to Shemaim, look, that one time she was late. Why? Because she was playing, she was talking, she was saying Lashon all afternoon. She was on the phone with her friend and her sister and that one and this one. 
She forgot about Shabbat until one second before Shabbat. She lit the candles, but it was too late. It was already Shabbat. At the time of pregnancy, the Gemara says, this is the reason in Shemayin they decide to kill her. Why? She has to have merit to survive pregnancy. Not the pregnancy the whole nine months, but pregnancy in essence, the actual labor itself and actually having the baby. And people think, I used to think, nah, this doesn't happen anymore. Today, modern technology, medical technology, no one dies. Yesterday, somebody died. Two days ago, somebody died. A week ago, a week and a half ago. Every day you get Shemachim, so many news. In the same same uh, place, uh, Rabbi Flaim, God bless him, him and his wife just had a baby boy. She said, the woman next to me, the woman next to me, gave birth, same time, went home, went home, everything was fine. Came back, she had a little bit of pain. Six days later, they checked into her, she died on the table. After six days, you're already home, you're already celebrating, I had a boy, I had a girl, I had a whatever. Six days later, Malach HaMavim was still waiting. People think this doesn't happen. It's far away. No, no, it's happening. You just don't know. It's happening. So, the one second difference made a difference. We don't know for her or anybody else. The point is, the one second is the big difference. But Satan tells you it's not a big deal. Another is Nida. The other mitzvah is Nida. A woman must go to the mikveh every month in order for her to become purified and to be able to be with her husband. This is not uh, only because of intimacy. It's also because you're not even allowed to touch his finger. You're not allowed to touch your husband's finger and your husband's not allowed to touch your finger if you're nida, finger. A woman came to the chachamim and says, look, my husband was talmid chacham. But he died. I thought the Torah says that if someone learns Torah, Shem protects him. Chachamim didn't have an answer. She kept crying, kept crying. This is Mugmara. Eliyahu Navi comes. She goes to Eliyahu Navi, Elijah the prophet. She tells him, my husband learned Torah, did mitzvot, but Hashem killed him at a young age. What kind of God is this? And he says to her, when you were Nida, did he touch you? No, chas v'shalom. No, he never touched me, never touched anything. He never touched even my finger, he wouldn't touch. Nothing. Oh, okay. Did he sleep with you in the bed? Not intimately, he just slept on the other side. He slept on one side of the bed, same bed. I slept on the other side, but he didn't touch me. Eliyahu Navi says in the Gemara, Baruch Hashem that Hashem killed him. El Melech Neeman. We can rely on this God. Why we rely on God? He's emet. He's a hundred percent. That's the truth. Why? You're not allowed to put yourself in that jeopardy. Not allowed to sleep with your wife in the same bed. Either have two beds right next to each other, sleep uh, different bed, whatever. You're not allowed to be in the same bed. So now Nida, more important mitzvah. Most Orthodox Jews know this mitzvah. Now one thing that the women may not tell you is that there's a woman in a mikveh that watches. Why they have a woman? Why people don't know how to go. They go to the pool every day for 30 years. They don't know how to go into the pool. 30 years they go into the pool. They don't know how to go in the pool. Go in the pool, that's it. Why do I need somebody to look at me? For what? What's this for? What's this woman for? It's annoying. It's, it's, 
Come on, no, it's not that they see you naked. What's the point? Is that's you know, invading your privacy? Why? In reality, if it's a, if it's a woman with yirat shemayim, not one of these reshaits that tells people lashonara about you after you leave the mikveh. Let's talk about honest women that have yirat shemayim. Sometimes you have women that they're at the mikveh just because they want to know everybody's business. Or they make fun of people and stuff like that. There's Rashaim. Don't worry. There's a lot of Rashaim. Rashaim in the world. There's one mikveh here in Florida, Hashem Menachem, rejected one of my students. Told, no, no, don't come here. Tzadikah, Kdosha came to the mikveh. Told, don't come here. Don't come to the mikveh. There's somebody like that. You need to pray for somebody like that to die. If we were allowed to pray for another dude to die, I would pray for this person to die. Somebody like this. A rabbi tells one of my students not to, not, not to go because he's racist, because he's prejudiced, because whatever. Somebody like that, if it was allowed, I'll pray for him to die. That's how much I hate him. You're allowed to hate him. But anyway, when someone has Yirat Shamayim, they're trying to save your life, baby. Why are they trying to save your life? Because we said if a man is with his wife when she's Nida, if a man is with a woman, She's Nida. All these single guys that have girlfriends and they act like they're married should know she's Nida. And that's a sur karet. That is the worst sin. That's karet. There's 36 different sins that in Shemaim they cut you off. The Chilil Shabbat. Or Abu Dazara. Or idol worshipping. It's a sur karet. You're with a woman that's Nida. It's a sur karet. This is horrendous. Rambam says there's no recovery from it in the next world. Recovery here, you can do tshuva here, but if you go into Shemaim with Karet, there's no recovery, there's no tshuva in Shemaim. So this woman, she has Yirat Shemaim, she's trying to save your life. Why? Because if you have one hair, you have tens of thousands of hairs on your head, tens of thousands of hairs on your head, one hair, one hair, one, you have tens of thousands of hair on your head, one hair sticks out of the pool that you've been going to for 30 years. One hair, one single hair, sticks out, you still need that. You still need that. That's why the law in Judaism is to have somebody over there, too. Why? Your hair needs to be inside. It's not that you don't know how to dip in a pool. If you don't see your hair, what happens to it? It can be sticking out. One hair is the difference between Nida and Torah. One hair. Satan says, nah, come on, she's invading your privacy, she's annoying, these rules, these this, these that, crazy, machmirin. No, no, saving your life, baby. But Satan tells you crazy things in your head. Another thing is modesty. I don't know how many women I see when they come to Shure Torah or they're in the kosher markets and, you know, you train yourself eventually, you have a reflex. You see a woman, you look away. But there's still a half a second, one second that you see the person. And the Yetzirah lets you see the person and what ends up happening is you see how they're dressed. So I don't know how often it happens where I see someone that says, oh, Baruch Hashem, this is a tzaddikah. Why? Most women are six inches from Ganeden. Most women are six inches in this generation. I'm talking about religious. I'm not talking about the secular people. Secular people are not wearing clothes at all. I'm talking about most religious women, religious Jewish women, 
a six inches from Gan Eden. Six inches. What's six inches from Gan Eden? Six inches too short. If there was two, six inches more, they would actually go to Gan Eden. They wear skirts that barely cover the knee. Barely. Sometimes don't cover the knee at all. Six more inches. If they would actually cover the knee, past the knee, after they sit down, it's modest. But because it doesn't cover the knee, or it covers the knee, but as soon as they sit down, it doesn't cover the knee, it's no longer modest. You're not allowed to wear it. So, Mamash, the fact that it's six inches too short is the difference between modest and not modest. And in Shamayim, modesty for women, number one mitzvah. It's impossible for a woman to go to Gan Eden if she's not modest. Impossible. So, Mamash, you have religious women. They're trying to do their best. They're trying to do this. They're trying to do that. They eat kosher. They cook this. They do that. They're great people. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with them as people. But apparently, their Rabbanim didn't tell them that they're six inches away. Six inches. Mamash, six inches. Really, ideally, they should wear the skirts or the um, dresses that are all the way to the ankles. But even if you want to wear something a little shorter, you're allowed, but it has to cover a third of your calf has to cover a third of your calf, which the Chachamim debate whether it's four inches past the knee or six inches past the knee. Nonetheless, it's definitely past the knee after you sit down. After you sit down. Not where people just get the thing and as soon as they sit down, they keep pulling it down. Like it's, uh, you know, one of those stretch toys. Right. Satan tells you that it's okay, it's no big deal. Six inches too short, six inches too long. It's all the same. It's six inches. Come on, for the rub, the skirt is already two feet. Six inches is not there. Look at the rest of you. Understand? Six inches. Satan tells you six inches is nothing. Also, you know, matzah, matzah, if you don't watch it carefully, don't watch it carefully, one second makes it chametz. When you make matzah, one second difference, one second difference, if you have matzah, 18 minutes, you have one second difference, chametz. Meaning, you have din karet. You eat chametz on Pesach, karet. Cut off from the nation. One second difference. We're not talking about ten minutes. We're not talking about, you know, cook it over a weekend. One minute, one second difference. You didn't follow the halacha, you put the, let the uh, matzah rise, you let the... It's not kosher. One second. Times reported, the times reported are usually before Shabbat, meaning that the times you see on, let's say, Chabad or, or, uh, Shab- or all the applications, they are not reporting exactly. They're reporting when to light candles. But the actual Shabbat usually starts about 18 minutes after that. That's why usually when you go to Bet Knesset at that time, they're doing a, a mincha. Now, if you did mincha, and if it was Shabbat, you couldn't do the mincha of the week. You're still doing the mincha of the week. When does Shabbat start usually? It starts, it's supposed to be set up in a way where you're actually saying, Lechadodi. Lechadodi, that's when Shabbat starts. You do Kabbalat Shabbat, you finish mincha, it's still regular day. You go into right into Kabbalat Shabbat, you sing, you get to a section of Lechadodi. At that moment, Shabbat started. 
It's somewhere in around of the 18, 20 minute range or so. We finished Shira pretty quickly today. Uh, it's about 18 to 20 minutes after that time. But that means that it, you have to be the shul. You have to know when they're doing it. You can't just say, no, no, I can, I'll just start Shabbat on my own 20 minutes after this time. No, if you're home, you start Shabbat on that time. You don't start it 20 minutes later. You know, so you have to be careful. Why are we careful? Because again, a second difference, a minute difference, you're playing with your life. You're playing with eternity. We're not talking about you're playing with a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or a hundred thousand dollars. You're putting it on blast. You're not playing with money here. You're playing with eternity. Same thing why I told you as far as Malit Shabbat, the, 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 um, the uh, uh, what is it called? The uh, elevator of Shabbat, I told you not to use it. Because Ravadia himself, when he was asked in one of his shiurim, I just don't remember where it was, uh, one of the shiurim, he said, Lo ra'ui, not, you should not doing it. It caused a lot of problems as far as Chilul Hashem. It caused a lot of issues with in regards to, you know, leading a person to sin and so on. It's Lo ra'ui. It's not for someone that, that is observant of Torah. It's not good. If you're about Shuba brand new, they don't tell you no. But it's not ra'ui for somebody that's already been keeping Shabbat for several years. Absolutely not. In reality, you should try not to live in a place that you need to use a malit anyway, an elevator anyway. As far as the leniencies out there, of course there's leniencies out there. There's leniencies out there. But if you're going to look for leniencies your whole life, like I said over here, you're already working full-time for the Yetzirah. You want to look for leniencies, good luck. You know, that's, that's the thing. It's not a matter of it's uh, allowed, not allowed. There are certain things that are allowed, but you shouldn't do. So for example, Hashem says in the Torah that if there is a war, and after you beat the enemy, they're going to have, you know, there's women there. There's women, there's children, and so on. It says if you see one of these women is pretty to you, one of these women in the enemy army is pretty to you, you're allowed to marry her. After you, she goes through a process where 30 days pretty much of mini torture, you shave her head, you make her ugly, and so on. But you're allowed to. And the reason why Hashem made, you know, gave in to the people is simply because He said, I know that when you're at war, there's so much testosterone that if I told you you're not allowed, you're going to end up sinning anyway. You're going to end up going out with the goyat anyway. So you're allowed. But you have to go through a process where you know, listen, you're not allowed to do it right now, you have to do it in 30 days. But you should know. So even though you're allowed to be with this woman, you should know you shouldn't do it. Just because you're allowed doesn't mean you should do it. There are several laws in the Torah that's allowed to do certain things, but Hashem is outright telling you you should not do it. You're allowed, but you shouldn't do it. So you're allowed to use a Ma'alit Shabbat, a Shabbat elevator. But you should not do it. And the reason why, one of the biggest reasons, is simply because of Chilul Hashem. Now, Chilul Hashem is not a small sin. Chilul Hashem is the number one sin in Judaism. If you pick, put everything on a chart, worst thing is, is to desecrate the name of Hashem. Now, we're not talking about it in a small way. This is desecrating the name of Hashem. It has no small way. Desecrating the name of Hashem, Chazal tells us, the only way to even begin the tshuva is suffer in this world. To begin the tshuva, you must suffer in this world. Chilul Hashem. So what's Chilul Hashem with using an elevator of Shabbat? If a secular person or the Tiloni, you know, one of those 50-50 religious people sees you and you have a, you know, he knows you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if you wear a kippah or not. He knows you're Jewish. He sees you on the elevator. 
He doesn't know it's technically allowed. If you don't press the buttons, if it stops by every floor, and so on, if it follows all this regimen of things, technically it's allowed. He doesn't know it. So he sees, ah, see, it's all fakers. You guys are all fakers. All these religious Jews, you guys are all fakers. That's why Rabbi Vadya says you should not do it. Why? Because you risk the possibility of Chilul Hashem. And if you have even 1%, 1% Yirat Shemaim, you would never go into a Shabbat elevator or any elevator on Shabbat. Unless it's Pikuach Nefesh, unless it's a life risk. But you're not allowed to go in there. So that's the reason why I told you you should not go in there and not allowed to go there. Because again, I tried to have a little Yirat Shemaim, and I have tried, tried to have some Yirat Shemaim for you as well. If I tell you, go use Shabbat elevators, go do what you got to do, then the reality of it is that all of you are going to be viewed by the public as fakers. And what ends up happening is that other people are going to sin because of you. You're going to go up to Shemayim 30, 50, 100 years, whenever it's going to be, and say, oh, yeah, yeah, is, is uh, so-and-so the Mechalel Shabbat? Is the so-and-so the desecrate Hashem's name every week? Is so-and-so the Rasha? What are you talking about? I went to Shul Torah, I kept Shabbat, I kept this, I kept that. No, 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 you're Rasha. Why? 60 people saw you over those weekends. They all left the religion because of you. You want to take your life a risk, you shouldn't come to Shul Torah anymore. Go home. Don't come. If you're taking a li- your, your eternity that lightly, you shouldn't come to my shul anymore. I'm telling you that's serious. Why? I can't help you. It's, you're crazy. I can't fix crazy. Someone that's crazy, you can't fix him. Now, not knowledgeable, ignorant, no problem. I can help him. Teach you, educate you, try. But if you're crazy, I can't help you. You're like a terrorist. You can't beat terrorists. You know that, right? Everybody tries to beat terrorism. It's the stupidest thing in the world. You can't beat someone that's willing to die. He's voluntarily dying. You can't beat him. You do give it to them. Unfortunately, they want to kill you also along with them. That's the problem. So now if somebody is willing to take their eternity and just throw it in the air just like that, I can't help you. can't help you. Because it's not your your eternity is more important to me than it is to you, which apparently means we have a problem. Yeah. Huh? Who? No. Hashem is a very big problem. Very, very, very big problem. And the problem is that most people don't realize how much of a problem it is. And the reason why is because Satan has trained them so well, they became elephants with no leash. Became elephants with no leash. And it says here in this Mishnah, it's because they started making small sins, they thought it was not a big deal, and next thing you know, they got used to it. They got used to sinning. Every sin became not a big deal, not a big deal, not a big deal, not a big deal. And eventually you have a serious problem. At a chidush today, Baruch Hashem, I'll tell you this chidush, I always ask myself this question. You know, in the times of the Bet HaMikdash, when somebody made a sin on purpose, let's say, for example, if somebody violated Shabbat on purpose, it's Zardin Mavit, death penalty. There's no like, oh, no, try again next week. If you had witnesses, they saw you, you were warned, and you still violated Shabbat, it's death penalty. There's no like, oh, you have a good family, let's do, no such thing. They kill you. But if you did an accident, accident, accidental, you forgot it was Shabbat, 
you, uh, you know, forgot you're not allowed to do something. Accident. He said, okay, no problem, bring a korban. Bring a korban to the Bet HaMikdash, a sacrifice to the Bet HaMikdash, and you're fine. Now, Hazal explains to us why does Hashem need your cow? Why does Hashem need your cow? Hashem eats cows. Why does He need your cow? Hazal explains that in reality, when you see the korban, when they see them slaughter the the the, uh, the cow, it should create some serious fear of the Almighty for you, because in essence, you know that it's supposed to be you that's killed and slaughtered, not the cow. Understand? But I still always ask myself, until today, Baruch Hashem, with your merit, I actually had the ability to, uh, Hashem gave me this chidush. I try to understand, listen, if it's a sin, punish the guy. If it's shogeg, don't punish him. What are you making the guy spend $10,000 on a cow for? It's either a sin or it's not a sin. If it's accidental, chalas, leave him alone. Okay, he knows. He said, He's finished. He's sorry. He cried. Why does he have to bring a cow? Why does he have to bring a cow, a chicken, or this, or a dove? Leave the dove alone, miskena. Leave the cow alone. What, the cow sin? He sinned. You know, a lot of people, they take these chickens, and uh, on Yom Kippur, on, uh, during, during this month, they do kaparot. You, I sin, I sin, I sin, I sin. They give all the sins to the chicken. If the chicken knew Hebrew, the chicken said, I didn't sin, you sin. Kill you, why are you killing me? You should die, not me, I didn't make your sins. And then people want to give these chickens to poor people. Why are you giving all your sins to poor people? You eat the chicken. Chicken didn't sin, you sin. So now, I ask the question, why is it that you're making the guy spend 10000 on a korban? He made an accidental sin, big deal, leave him alone. This is the Chidush. Chidush is, here we learn in this, in this Mishnah, 2,500 years ago, it says, you should make a mitzvah. Even if it's a small one, make the mitzvah. Why? Because mitzvah goreret mitzvah. Ve'avera goreret avera. You should make the mitzvah, no matter how big the mitzvah is. Why? Because one mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. And, one, and you should run away from a sin, because one sin leads to another sin. So now you already made a sin. Shoged, you let the light accidentally in Shemaim. You, you let the light. It's, you're not allowed to light the light on Shabbat. You're not allowed to turn the fire on Shabbat. It's not allowed. It's accidental, though. So they say, okay, it's accidental. You're not going to be killed, but you have to bring Korban. But either way, in Shemaim, it's still counted as a sin where it's going to lead to another sin. You still, you have now changed the Cheshbon, the accounting in Shemaim. Your last action was a sin. Which means the Satan has you on his right there. Got him. I got him. He's right there. He's, th- he's got you. You made the sin. You're right there. So they say, bring the korban right away. Why? Break the chain because the korban is a mitzvah. The korban is a mitzvah. The korban is going to save you so before you make your next sin. Bring the korban, make a mitzvah. So the next thing you're going to do is a mitzvah. And mitzvah. Goreret mitzvah. Mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. That's why the, you think Hashem needs your cow or your chicken. No, they're trying to get you. You have to do mitzvah right away before you become kofer gamur. So what do you do today? 
חטאנו אבינו פשענו גפסתקה דף תקורבן חטאנו אבינו ידעו וידוי you learn some Torah you give stakah right away you don't delay you don't delay that's one of the chidushim of Hashem about this mitzvah goeret mitzvah now to finalize it I think we answered most of the questions so you see here that some of the things one of the questions was why some of the mitzvot some of the things are explicit it says in the Torah don't cook a deer in his mother's milk it says it three times it says it three times why the see the same mitzvah three times so obviously here we learned that a certain thing is explicit it says we're not allowed to eat meat, meat milk but it says the same verse three times why because if you look at what Chazal says it says it's written three times because there's three separate mitzvot from the same verse One, you're not allowed to eat it. Two, you're not allowed to cook it. Third time, you're not allowed to enjoy it. Meaning that if you want to go work as a chef, you're not allowed to work as a chef in a non-kosher restaurant. Why? Because you're not allowed to cook or eat or even enjoy, make money out of non-kosher food. So if you own a non-kosher restaurant, you must get rid of it. You, must, you are not allowed to be a cook or make any money out of non-kosher food. Not allowed. That's why that specific verse is written three times. So there's something called exegesis, where the, 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 the sages understand multiple messages from the Torah. And this is how the Torah is endless. Now, this also fee, uh, helps with the whole argument that we had last week about art scroll. I don't know if you guys have been following, but uh, apparently this is uh, some of the, uh, the shame of the world uh, sometimes have a keep on sometimes have a hat on, sometimes they think of themselves as tzaddikim. So last week we talked about how to tell people you're not allowed to learn from art scroll, aside from being stupid and ignorant, it's gava. It's gava. Why? Because art scroll has made it easier to learn the basic pshat, the basic meaning of gemara. It doesn't give you any major secrets. You're not going to become a kabbalist from learning uh, art scroll. You're not going to become Moshe Rabbeinu from learning art school because of how... No, you're going to learn the basic pshat. The basic, literal meaning of the Gemara. What is the Gemara trying to tell me? Basic meaning. So, some guy that started learning Gemara six months ago... No, I'm not serious. I'm not even exaggerating. He actually wrote an article about a month ago that said, here are the rules of how to learn Gemara. I started learning Gemara six months ago. Now, immediately, anyone that has a little bit of uh, something should, at that point, say whatever he says, I'm not doing. Why? In order to teach, you first have to learn. You can't tell me you learned how to learn in six months, my friend. You can't. You can't teach me after you've only learned for six months. I remember I used to train all different guys that worked for me for the Series 7. The Series 7... Is a question, uh, a, um, a series of questions, 265 questions. You must answer over seven hours. It's a seven-hour test. It's not an easy test. Passing grade is 70. So I would train my guys how to pass this test. Certain things you need to know, certain things you need to focus on, and so on and so forth. The funniest thing is that sometimes I would have some of these guys that were just like barely, you know, pass their test. 
passed, get a grade, they passed their test, they got a 70, 71, 75, whatever they got, and a week later they're trying to tell me how to run my business. It's funny, it's little kids, you know, it's like a little, you know, a little three-year-old kid. You look at him like, you can't, make, you know, you can't be upset at him, he's a little, you know, he's three. Problem is, some of them were 30. So you can't really, you know, it's silly. But it's the same thing here. Guys started learning six months ago. He's telling people, these are the rules of what you need to do. I learned from Chachamim, from Tzadikim, from Nevonim, from all these different people. And he wrote, first rule, don't use art scroll. First rule, don't use art scroll. So now, I said what I said last week. If you guys remember, we made a clip out of it, which is obviously, this is shtiot. This is nonsense. If you have the ability to learn with a rabbi that's going to oversee you, Definitely use regular Gemara with Rashi. But if you're learning without a rabbi, if you're learning, if you're brand new, you're about Shuba, you don't know how to learn Gemara yet, you don't know everything yet, you're just learning on your own, you must use art scroll. Using, not using art scroll is stupidity. Why? Because what ends up happening is that you learn Gemara and you get to the wrong conclusion. And now you continue building on it, but it's wrong. So that's what happened to this generation is that a lot of people think that they're smarter than what they really are, even if they're in yeshivas. And they get to the Gemara, they don't learn what Chazal actually said, they decide what they said. They make the laws, they make the things, and they build on the wrong conclusion. So what ends up happening is that you're putting, it's like putting seasoning on rotten food. No matter how much seasoning you're putting on it, you're still going to get food poisoning at the end. It's rotten. You understand? So now, when you get to the wrong shot, the wrong basic understanding, you're guaranteed to make genom bigger. Guaranteed. Why? Because you're building on the wrong foundation. It's never going to turn into right. It's always going to be rotten. So when you learn art scroll, at the very least, what happens is that you know, if you study it carefully and you read everything that it says on the page, most likely, not 100%, most likely, you're going to arrive at the correct shot, the correct basic meaning. Which means that anything you build on it will be built on a solid foundation. doesn't guarantee that everything you're going to say after that is going to be right, but you have something to stand on. So anyone says otherwise, is in essence telling you that anytime somebody teaches Gemara, Rabbi teaches Gemara, he's telling you the Pshat. He's telling you different things. No, no, no. If he's telling it, I want to hear it. I want to only learn it on my own. So this is also wrong theoretically. Because Rabbis teach Gemara. You're his Rabbi teaches Gemara. He tells you what he read. But he said, no, no. If he's saying it, I don't want, I want to learn it on my own. I want to arrive at my own conclusion. So already it's, this is theoretically incorrect. But aside from that, what's really, really wrong about this is that when you have the wrong conclusion, it usually stems from the wrong place. You don't have right, the correct teaching. So this guy wrote this article. We, say, we explained ourselves, as you know, and now included. I don't mention his name. I'm not trying to ruin anybody's life. He's not the only one, by the way. Um, this, pl this is a common thing. This battle has been going on for two decades. He's not the first one to mention this. But again... Somebody made a mistake, no problem. I don't mention names usually unless I have to. But nonetheless, I said this, and it came out. Apparently, the guy that wrote the article saw it, and he decided to say, here's, he made a shiur, a recording of himself. Here's why your own Reuven doesn't know how to learn. 
and he makes a seven-minute recording of him repeating himself 18 times, insulting me, and pretty much murdering me in public. Now, Baruch Hashem, this is good for me. It's good for my Yenashamayim, good for my Tikkun. It's no problem. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not crying overnight for this. But this is Chavayim. This is someone that just, he thought he knows Gemara. He thought I had to teach you Gemara. No, to, to learn Gemara is already high level. To teach Gemara, that means you not only know how to learn, you know how to teach. Giant. You even know all the laws. You're giant. You're Moshe Rabbeinu of this generation. Teach Gemara. Shrecha. Not only doesn't know how to learn, he doesn't know the basic law. Malbin berabim. En lo David Melech says, Someone embarrasses somebody else in public has no share of the world to come. So this is Avera Goreret Avera. Why? You said Lashonara about Archkol a month ago. You didn't like the Musar I gave you. The same day you wrote it, I sent the guy a Musar. I told him, listen, you're wrong. You're not, you're not doing right. You should take this thing off. It's Lashonara. Aside from being theoretically wrong and practically wrong, and it has, Archko has Gdolei Ado signed off on it. You have videos of Rav Moshe Feinstein, of um, Rav uh, Kanievsky studying from it. Kanievsky studying from it. Rav Steinemann studying from it, from Archko. Rav David Feinstein has a whole interview talking about how great it is. The Gdolei Ado is signing off on it. You little peon roach that started reading the book, started learning how to read six months ago, are saying everybody is wrong because... Somebody told you something that you misunderstood. So you didn't like the Musari that I gave. I told him, listen, this is wrong. This is Lashonara also. You're going against Gdolei Adol. What does he do as a response? He destroys me. He goes, he makes, he calls the shiur, Yaron Ruven. So don't, don't misunderstand. Yaron Ruven, no rabbi, no babkis. Yaron Ruven doesn't know how to learn. And he goes seven-minute recording insulting me. And in case, since he only has three subscribers, him and his mother and some other friend that he has subscribers to his SoundCloud channel, nobody heard it. So what did he do after? He made sure to type everything he said. And he posted it online. Again, it wasn't enough to kill me the first time. He wants to mot you mat. He must what you mat, like the din karet for, for some mechalev shabbat. Mot you mat. He wants to kill me twice. So he typed it also. Tembel. 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 Mefager. Huh? Hey, send it to me. Send it on the group I was in. But, okay. So now, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you a question. Before Torah, what would I do? After Torah, what would I do? Before Torah probably go to his house. <laughs> the Baruch Hashem, we have Torah. We have Torah. We thank God for the schut, for the merits. only thing I responded is something that it says in the Gemara in Baba Metziah. I'm sorry, Baba Batra. Baba Batra 75, 75B. Baba Batra 75B, Hashem Barach says to a wicked king called Hiram. Hiram. He's a wicked king that thought that he was God. So what did he do? He built a castle with seven levels separated by water. Like Hashem has seven rekeim, seven, he- seven heavens, meaning at the top of the heaven, 
Chiram made a castle in essence, separated by water in seven ways. So Shemit Barach sent a prophet to him and says to him this, I looked at you when I created the world. I saw you coming in the future. I saw your arrogance, what you're going to have. And because of you, because of you, I created holes in the body. Why holes in the body? Because how much confidence can you possibly have when everything that you put inside into your body goes out stinking? What are you so proud about? You think you're a god. You had diarrhea last week. You had a headache. You had a broken back. You have a foot uh, fungus. I saw you, you arrogant fool. And because of you, I did it. So I said, this guy learns Gemara, Tosfot, this one, that one. Don't use art scroll. Don't use that one. So of course he's going to understand what I mean. So I sent him this little clip. I just sent him, I just sent him the verse with the Gemara page. I'm assuming he understood. What is the response? I'm doing it for Am Yisrael to separate the Sheker from the Emet. I'm saying you don't even read the Hebrew that I wrote you. You don't even know how to read. Because if you knew how to read, you would even know, you'd understand. This has nothing to do with anything. It just shows you your Gavtan. You have too much pride. You're making all this stuff. You're destroying people in public for no reason. What happened? What happened, my friends? What happened is, is that somewhere along the line, people forgot that Yirat Shamayim, Yirat Shamayim is everything. There's a verse in the Torah, Hashem says, Yirat Hashem Iotzarot. Hashem has a treasure chest. Hashem has a treasure chest. The whole treasure chest has one thing. You used to have two. You used to have Shabbat. He took Shabbat, he gave it to us. He says, there's one thing left. What is it? Yirat Shamayim. Yirat Shamayim. Iotzarot. Hashem Yitbarach. In the Gemara it says Shabbat. Gemara Shabbat says, the only reason Hashem created the world is for you to fear Him. Not for you to love Him. Love Him comes later. To fear Him, give Him a reason to create the world. When there's no Yirat Shamayim, there's no connection to Hashem Barach. There's no connection, there's nothing. There's Babkis. So now, to prove this example of this art scroll, I'll give you a Chidush from art scroll. Now the basic Pshat that talks about this Yirat Shamayim, in Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 31, says, Yirat Hashem Iotzarot. Hashem Everything he has a treasure chest is the Yirat Shamayim. So it says, what is it like? What is it like, this Yirat Shamayim? Because even if you know the entire Mishnah, you know the entire Mishnah by heart, you know Yirat Shamayim, nothing. It's worth nothing. You know the entire Mishnah, entire foundation of all Torah, all of it. You don't know it, you, don't, you have it. You know by heart. You know Tosfot, you know Rashi, you know Art School, you know Babkes, you know whatever you want. You know, you have no Yirat Shamayim, it's worth zero. First thing. This is Achkol, says it's Rashi. Basics. He says, what is this like? Uh, tell me, tell me more, tell me more. Well, it says, tell me more. says, B'Sha'ashe Machnisim Adan Ladin. Omrim lo, Nasata V'Natata Be'emuna. says, when someone goes to Shamayim, there's the Bedin of Shamayim, he died. 70, 80, 120, however many years he goes to Shemaim, the Bet Din of Shemaim. There's no more uh, joking around. He has to pay the bill. 
They ask him questions. There's a few questions they ask. The first question they ask, did you conduct your business with honesty, with faith? Were you a dishonest person? Why didn't they ask him, did you go to the Knesset? Or were you honest in the Knesset? Why? The Knesset, everybody could pretend like they're tzaddikim. In business, there's no pretending. Why? Money. Money. You're not pretending. If you're honest, you're honest in your business. If you're a liar, you're a liar in your business. Bottom line. First question, did you conduct your business? Second question, did you make time for learning Torah every day? Or were you one of those guys who says, no, no, I, I'm working really hard. I'm going to study later. I'm going st- to make my millions. I'm going to study later. Later, after I have a few million in the bank, I'm going to study all the Gemara you want, Kodarai. I'm going to study all this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give tzedakah. Everybody blames God for their lack of tzedakah. Say, listen, listen, I don't have that much money now. I only make $50,000 a year. Only. Make $50,000 a year. Only. Make $50,000 a year. I can't give tzedakah now. When Hashem gives me a million dollars or 100000 or 200000 or whatever number they have in their little head that makes them believe that's the number that allows them to give tzedakah, when I have that, I'm going to give tzedakah then. This shows that not only they don't understand what tzedakah is, but the Yetzirah has got them on a little leash. Because he's convincing them that they need more in, in order to give. The reality of it is that the tzedakah of the guy that doesn't have much sometimes is more valuable than the tzedakah of the guy that has a lot. Why? The guy that made 30000 last year, that gave 300 bucks, that gave $100, is going to have much more merit than the guy that gave two million, five million, a hundred million, but didn't feel it. He didn't feel it. He's got a billion dollars, so he gave you ten million. Big deal. It's interest over a couple of months. The guy that gave three hundred dollars, you know what? He had to eat a little less this month. You understand? So someone says, no, I'm going to give staka when I have more. Obviously, you don't understand what staka is. You don't understand what, who gives you the money and so on. There's a lot more we need to learn about that. So we get, next question, did you make time for Torah? You didn't make time for Torah. We have a problem and so on and so forth. It says, let's say you answer. I'm going to fast forward because it's late already. It says, let's say you answered all the questions right. Everything's right. You made time for Torah. You are honest in your business. You were waiting, you were hoping for the Mashiach to come. You have to wait for the Mashiach. It's one of the main things you have, you're being asked. You, you brought kids to the world, or at least tried. You don't have to just stay single because you don't like people. You have to find a zivug. You have to actively look for it. Whether you find it or not is not your problem, but it's Hashem's problem. You have to look. You have to try. It says, let's say you answered all the questions good. You got a check mark next to each one. Last question is, did you have Yirat Shamayim? He says, if the answer is negative, the judgment's negative. Everything goes to nothing. So now this is shot. They give you, says, Gemara says, we want more. Give me an analogy. I'm not, I need more. Gemara says, okay, I'll give, you a, I'll give you an example. Let's say a guy says to his servant, go to the Attic. Go to the attic and put my wheat. Put all, organize all the wheat. Put it over there. Put all the wheat over there. 
servant, good servant, he goes, takes the wheat, puts it in the attic. He comes back down after a few hours. He tells the master, yeah, it's finished. He says, did you put chumtin? Did you put the preservative on the wheat? He says, no. No, I didn't put it. The Baal Abayit says it was better off you didn't do anything. Why? Before you did it, the wheat was fine. It was still in its place. It was fine. It was preserved. It was fine. It's nature. But now you put it in the attic, and there's no preservative, which means it's all going to go bad because of you. So it's better you didn't do anything. The Gemara says, that's Yerat Shemayim. The wheat is all the mitzvot. All the mitzvot. You did this. You did Yerat. You did uh, learn Torah. You went, you had Hanukkah, you had Purim, you had Smith, all everything you had. The Chumtim, the preservative, is the Yirat Shamayim. It says you have no Yirat Shamayim, it's not worth anything. It's not going to preserve. It's not going to last. This is basic Gemara. You learn it in any Gemara in the world. This is Rashi in basics. Now, the extra part that uh, they add, one of the Mepharshim here in Sfat Emet, and Rashi say, should know if you sell the um, wheat in a sack, and let's say it's uh, I don't know, 50 pounds. But out of the 50 pounds, really, it's 45 pounds of wheat and 5 pounds of preservative, chumtin. You still sell it, it's still honest, it's still right business, it's still kosher business to sell it as 50 pounds of wheat. Not 45 pounds. Why? The Sfatimet says, because if it's not for the 5 pounds of the Chumtin, the 45 wouldn't last anyway. This is art score, you just learned, Das Gemara, page 31a. Or at least a few, most of it, of this last section, the last third of it. What's the chidush that was not in the Gemara, that was not an article that shows you that now that you understand the basics, you have a basic understanding, it's endless of how much you can build it. What's the, what's the chidush? The chidush is that the chumtin, the chumtin, the preservative, that's article. Meaning, if you have a situation where you're learning Gemara, and you get to the wrong conclusion because you don't have a rabbi that's overseeing you. You don't have a rabbi overseeing you. You don't have, you're just arrogant. You think that you can get into the, you know, your own conclusion. The Maram Masechet Yoma, page 90 says, if you don't have a rabbi that's overseeing you, Hashem hates you. If you don't have a rabbi overseeing you, God hates you. Why does he hate you? Because you could live 70 years being a kofel without even knowing it. Why? Because you have too much gava to check yourself. So he says, now, if you arrive at the wrong conclusion, you continue building on it. You arrive that this is kosher. In reality, it's not kosher. It's not kosher. But you keep not only eating it, you recommend it to the whole neighborhood. No, go ahead, eat. You start selling it. You start marketing it. You start giving it to the world. You put it on Facebook. You put it on Google. You put, you're selling it. It's not kosher, Bichlal. But you arrive at the wrong conclusion. That's what happens. Art school gives you the right basic conclusion. Basic conclusion. Pshat. 
That's the Chumtin. Now, if, why is it Chumtin? Because if you're getting the Pshat and you're getting to the correct way, it's the same price, the same thing, the same product. It's, it's still kosher. You still sell it as the same thing. But if it's without it, you're risking losing the whole thing. You risk arriving at the wrong conclusion. Why would you arrive at the wrong conclusion? Because of what the Gemara was talking about in the very same Chidush I just gave you. No Yirat Shamayim. The same Gemara that explained to you what Archkol is is the same Gemara I told you. No Yirat Shamayim, you got nothing. You got nothing. So here, to finalize everything, Ben Azai is telling you, chase the mitzvot, run away from the Averot, run away from the sins. The mitzvah is going to lead to another mitzvah. The Avera is going uh, to lead to another Avera. The reward for the mitzvah is a mitzvah. You get another mitzvah, another opportunity to do more mitzvot, another good thing. Why? Because Hashem wants to keep giving you big reward in Olam Abba. Not another car, another house, another stuff. He pays you in Olam Abba. The real reward is in Olam Abba. Proof of that, look at the life of Moshe Rabbeinu. Look at the life of Avraham Avinu. Look at our Avot. They didn't have great lives. You didn't see Parashat Shavua, Moshe goes to Cancun. You didn't see Avraham Avinu, Avraham Avinu goes on vacation to, I don't know, somewhere else. They didn't have that stuff. No vacation. They had Kaparat Avinu their whole lives. Why? Because the reward for all the good they did is Olam Abba. This world can't pay you enough for the smallest mitzvah you have. But the same thing goes with the Avera. The Avera that you have here, this world is not enough to punish. This world is not, that's why there is such a thing as Gehenom. That's why there's such a thing as Kafakela. That's why there's these scary places that we don't want to think about or think or even say. Why? Because in Parashat, Bechukotai, Hashem Itbarach said, Ve'alachti mi'ubekeri. He said, you treated me with casualness. I'm going to treat you with the fury of casualness, meaning I'm going to punish you twice. What's the punishment? One for the sin, one for the sin, and one for treating me with casualness. What does it mean treating me with casualness? Like I'm one of your friends. What's what's the point of that? He says, you treat me with casualness. How? You enjoyed your sin. You wasted seed. You had joy for, for a couple of seconds. You went with the uh, Goya. You enjoyed for a few months. You stole some money. You enjoyed it for a few years. I'm going to punish you, not just for the sin, but for the joy you had sinning against me. That's the fury of the punishment. So people need to really understand. Hashem Barach brought you to the world to reward you. To reward you. He doesn't want to punish you. But at the same token... He has to be a net. There has to be reward and punishment. There must be. To say that there's no reward and punishment, like the Christians say, like the Reformed say, like the uh, Catholics say, that is intellectually dishonest. Because any ignorant person knows there's reward and punish- punishment in this world. You do good at work, you do good. You make more money. You get a promotion. You get this. You do good in marriage. Your wife likes you more. Your kids like you more. Your husband likes you more. 
You do good in the community, you get popular. They vote you to become, I don't know, some, uh, some guy or something, some uh, board member or some uh, mayor. Point, point is, is that there's reward for certain things, for certain actions. So obviously if there's reward and punishment here, there must be reward and punishment there. To believe otherwise is just being stupid by choice. It's intellectually dishonest. So here Ben Azai is telling you, know this. You want to stay away from sin as far as possible because the sin is dangerous. It's addictive. It can lead to a lot of problems. Run away from it. Run as far away from it. But the only cure, the only way you can run away from it is by keeping yourself busy with mitzvot. Keep yourself busy with mitzvot because when you keep yourself busy with mitzvot, it leads to more mitzvot. It leads to more opportunities. It leads to more tzedakah. It leads to better shalom bayit. It leads to more Torah. It leads to good things. But if you're doing mitzvot and you don't feel like doing it anymore, that means you're not doing it because you like it. You're doing this just because it's there. You became a robot that keeps Shabbat. That's not what Hashem brought you to the world. Hashem brought you to the world to take the mitzvot seriously, put them with kavanah, connect to them, learn about them, do them. The more you do them, the more you enjoy them. The more you enjoy them, the bigger the reward you'll get from them. And why do them at all? Because the other, the other side is really bad. Any questions? There are some rabbis that say that the, the shechita has a lot of problems. We, we rely we rely on big uh, on big um, uh, places that do uh, that go over the kashrut. But again, just because it's big doesn't necessarily mean by default it's good. So, yes, you need to do a little checking. Uh, who is this shechita? Who made the shechita? What kind of laws are they? Like for example. There are certain places that are kosher for parv. You could eat their food, but if it's meat, you're not allowed to eat their meat. For parv, you're allowed to eat their food, but for meat, you're not allowed to eat. You're not allowed to accept their kashrut. And the reason why, that's the star K. Star K, uh, I, I don't know if it changed recently, but I know until uh, recent years, you were not. Uh, it was not acceptable as, a, uh, as the kashrut for meat. Uh, it wasn't glat kosher, it wasn't acceptable kashrut, so most uh, religious Jews would not eat star K, meat. Parv, they'd eat it. If it's candy, chocolate, stuff like that, they'd eat it. The kashrut was fine. So, you need to do checking. If it's uh, ORB, if it's uh, Bet Yosef, if it, you know, different, different, different things, you have to check who it is. Obviously, there's a lot of problems with the meat today, simply because we know a lot more, we do a lot more. So there are... A, Many, not like majority, but there are many really big chachamim, big uh, rabbis, that literally refuse to eat meat from anywhere other than from a butcher they know personally. So they literally bring a butcher to their community. He slaughters the cow in front of them, and then they take the meat from there. If you want, we can split a few cows between you. 
I don't, I don't, I don't really eat meat. Though. I don't really eat meat so, uh, often. Oh, the, the glue in the meat, yeah, that's a shine. That's uh, that's what the uh, goyim do. They put poison in their own meat because they want to make money. You know, there's also there's also in uh, in uh, in China they make rice out of plastic. In China they make rice out of plastic. They make you know it looks exactly like rice, uh, and it's plastic. It's not much poison. They feed people poison because they love money so much. That's what happens when you don't have yirat shemaim. When you don't have a god, you don't have a fear of God. To have a god, you have to fear him too. You can't say you have a god and you don't fear him. What kind of god is that? So when you don't fear God, you don't have a god. That means that your god is money. So if money is your god, you'll do anything for him. You'll sacrifice for him. You'll make. Uh, you'll lie to people about it. You'll do whatever. You'll kill people for it. There's no end. That's why Chazal says you're not allowed to be in a closed room with someone that doesn't have Yirat Shamayim. Someone that doesn't have Yirat Shamayim, you're not allowed to be in a closed room with him. Why? Maybe he'll kill you. That's what it says. Submit. That's what it says. Someone that doesn't have Yirat Shamayim, you shouldn't be in a closed room with him. Maybe he's going to kill you. How do you know? He thinks he's God. If he doesn't have fear of God, he thinks he's God. He has to fear something. Maybe he thinks he's God. If he thinks he's God, maybe he's going to kill you because you're not praying to him. You're not worshiping him. You're not obeying him. So... That's what happens with the goyim. Unfortunately, many of them don't have a fear of God. Some do, but uh, many of them don't, especially these people that are in the uh, uh, food business, that uh, meat business, that are putting glue on their food because that glue is poison. Right. They put cheap parts together of meat, to, uh, and they put this enzyme on it, which is poisonous, and, they, uh, and the meat, after they uh, refrigerate it for a few hours, comes out as if it's a single piece. It looks like it's a single piece of prime steak or something like that. It looks like a single meat, but, those, and, but in, you can't tell the difference unless you're a professional. So they took, let's say, take kebabs. Take, let's say, kebabs. They roll them together. They put this enzyme on it. They wrap it in, uh, in uh, tin, not tin foil, in uh, plastic wrap. Plastic. So it looks like a, you know, um, like a pastrami or something. Not uh, one of these things. They put it, a sausage. They put it in a fridge. When it comes back from the fridge after several hours and they cut it, it looks like it's all one piece of meat. Like all of the meat connected together because the, the, this, this specific enzyme makes the blood clot. It makes the blood clot so it all connects. It all becomes like it's one. So now to the average person, even before they cook it, it looks like it's a single piece. After they cook it, you can't tell the difference at all. So it's very, very dangerous because, number one, they're feeding people poison. Uh, number two, they're lying to people, which means what else is in there? Uh, and again, this is just another small little thing where Hashem shows us, here's another reason why you, the chosen people, must eat kosher. It's, aside from it being my rule, it's your best interest. It's your best interest because when you eat kosher, you don't have these problems. Again, it's enzymes from pigs and all different types of animals, but if you're already eating that meat, it doesn't matter where it's from. It's all non-kosher anyway. The fact that it's pig doesn't make it any uh, worse than if it's a, uh, a non-kosher cow. Same thing.
Okay. Well, I mean, listen, some people have different uh, things. They, uh, they keep one, they observe one, they go with one, they don't go with another. Different people, you have to, this is one of the things that, uh, listen, I tell you this. Eating out is something that people enjoy a lot. So to tell people don't eat out, which in reality you shouldn't, simply because it's very, very difficult to have a place that is 100% kosher. And one of the reasons is because many people that own kosher restaurants, kosher markets, kosher food places are not religious. They just like the business. In Israel, if someone is not religious, doesn't keep Shabbat, they don't get a kosher certificate. In America, they do. doesn't matter what they are. They could be nothing. So as long as the store is kosher food. So the thing is, though, is that... Uh, stay in the place. So the thing is that, is that people that uh, go out, they go to places where the owner... It's following the rules, but you're not 100% sure because he himself doesn't keep the law. So there's always going to be a suffix. There's always going to be a suffix where, how, I mean, does he really keep it? Does he not keep it? Restaurants in general, even if it's non-kosher restaurants, kosher, whatever, all of them have problems. All of them have all types of issues. I mean, anybody that's been in the restaurant business, knows anything about the food business, they'll tell you that seeing rats in restaurants is a normal thing. If you, and they, some people that are actually in there tell me, if you actually knew what was going on in restaurants, you would never go to one. So eating out is a problem anyway. Eating in a place where the guy is, the owner is not religious is an additional problem. Eating in a place where they keep, you know, they don't keep to one specific shita, they keep multiple ones, you have to find out why. Is it because they have customers that specifically ask for this? Or is it because this week it was a discount on Chabad, next week is a discount on Bet Yosef, this week is on this one. Like, is it because of money or is it because of, you know, demand? So what's the reason? And quite frankly, it's a, uh, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to pick a restaurant. So, but to tell people outright, don't eat out, it's just not realistic because people are just going to say you're crazy. Uh, but at the same token, you are responsible for what goes in your body. Simply said, you are responsible. You're going to pay for whatever goes into your body. Yeah. You asked the question. You saw the question. No? You guys, you guys are good with questions today. But I answered all the questions you guys had, right? Lottery, should you buy a ticket? I don't know. You want to buy, buy a ticket? Buy a ticket. It's $2. Or a dollar. Yes, the uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein said the most you're, amount, you're, most you're allowed to buy from a lotto ticket that would not be considered gambling, because you're not allowed to gamble, is the minimum price for a single lotto ticket. Which, which would not be significant, meaning it's not, it's considered a puta. Puta, it's like insignificant money, so a dollar or two dollars, whatever one ticket is, one dollar or two dollars, that is the most you're allowed to buy, the most. But not a dollar, two dollars, 80 times a day, or 80 times a week, a dollar, two dollars a day, thinner. Right, no. You could buy a single ticket, you're allowed to buy, uh, because even if you lost that money, it wouldn't change your life. But uh, don't do it on a regular basis because then it becomes addictive and then you have a different problem in your life called gambling. And gambling leads to a lot of other problems. It's actually one of the other things that I had a chidush on this week, but it's already late, so I'm sure you guys want to get some sleep. What else? Who wants to keep everybody here till tomorrow? Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Three jokes and Alexa's big. <laughs>